0: Hello, everybody. Chet here once again for another episode of the Dark Art Society podcast. Episode 143. You'll have to excuse me. I
1: have a bit of a head cold.
0: So, today's episode, I'm interviewing, or I have interviewed already, Eric Gist, who is a really great painter, illustrator, teacher, and monster fan it's really cool to have somebody who is so technically proficient into the dark art scene and into monsters i i heard him say in an interview if he could do anything he wants for the rest of his life he'd do monsters and that's my kind of guy but it's just cool because you know most people with that level of ability technical ability and and you know education and training they you know tend to go into more mainstream types of artwork so to have a guy at his level who's totally into, into the monster thing is really awesome for us as a as a movement so it's a great interview so i really enjoyed it he's a real smart guy and had a lot of insights from our conversation
1: so that's coming up. Uh so I've been well first things first I had to put my dog down finally last week he got too, so weak that he could barely walk and he was
0: starting to fall and he could barely get up and it was just he got to a point where
1: he was suffering I think or he's starting to suffer. So that really sucked. He basically didn't eat for a
0: month or more maybe it's kind of incredible he was drinking water though so he stayed alive but he just
1: withered away to this skeletal thing so uh, that was really difficult but luckily
0: i found this doctor named dr grody g o r d r o t e and he's this re- retired vet and his whole business is he goes to people's houses and um, puts dogs down and takes the body And gets it cremated if you want and it was really great because doc was um really afraid to go to the vet and he had you know we didn't know his history because he was a rescue and he was always really leery of people he didn't know
1: and stuff so taking him to the vet would have been a bad thing for his last final minutes so he came out and he was super cool What a great guy really was
0: very um, compassionate and just took his time. Let us take our time. All the family was here and we're around him and stuff. So it was about as good as those things can go. And I don't know if you've ever put, ever had to put a pet down, but, um,
1: uh, uh, it's, if they do it right. Um, I've, I've, you know, I heard, I, I know one friend of mine they didn't do it right and it's it sounded like the dog kind of freaked
0: out at the very end but if they do it right all the times i've put my dogs down it's been
1: very peaceful and amazingly fast and and easy and it's really a great way to go if your pet is suffering and about to die so anyway that's over and um I'm glad he's not suffering, but I keep thinking I see him laying on the couch. I keep thinking I smell him or hearing him hear him walk. It's a trip. So, uh, do you, can you hear that dinging? Can you hear ding? Because I get my my uh, I keep getting texts and it's dinging in my headphones. It doesn't matter. If you hear a dinging, that's what it is. Uh, <clears throat> so anyway, glad that's over. And, um, just you know, bumming, but trying to move on, other than that,
0: I had a sale that did really well, so I'm we're uh,
1: going working around the clock to get all the Christmas orders out in time for Christmas. Um, so uh, I also, as a side thing, I, I started a threadless
0: store. On threadless.com and i think it's threadless.com slash chet czar maybe um if you go to threadless.com and look up chet czar, it will come up and i'm i'm started out they asked me to, to be on there they've been asking me for years and i just haven't had time to deal with it and they kind of have been really cool
1: um lance over there at threadless is uh, helped facilitate this and they started, I just gave them some imagery. They put
0: some stuff up. So I'm basically going to have, I'm going to put pretty much
1: everything I have on t-shirts and blankets and stickers and bags. It's, it's really cool. And
0: I, so they sent me some samples cause I thought, you know, maybe the print quality wasn't really good. And, um, the print quality is amazing, better than what I was getting done at the silk screener. So I'm really excited about that. So now there's all these options for different styles of shirts and women's shirts. And, you know, I can't afford to do that. That's why, if you've noticed on my uh, big cartel, I've run out of shirts. I just have a few sizes left because, you know, they make you do 72-piece minimum. And um, you make more per shirt that way, but you have to put more up front and they also the place i was working pissed me off too the, the place that was that was doing these they did great
1: work but they were um they pissed me off so but uh so anyway i was figuring you know i'm not making a ton from the shirts that i do myself anyway but you know you make less with the threadless
0: depending on how you price them i have to you know right now I'm making like a dollar for every shirt sales. So I've made all these sales and made like $38, <laughs> but it's not really about that for me. It's like, it's about posting stuff that I can't afford to do myself and allowing all kinds of merchandise for fans to have like t-shirts and different styles and, and, um, hoodies and all the stuff I've been wanting to do. So I'm just excited about being able to offer that now.
1: Um, uh so so yeah, that's uh uh I can't find where my where my uh what my address is. I think it's threadless.com slash Chetzar or at Chetzar or something like that. If you search Chetzar, I'm sure it'll come up. Um I'm just searching it right now. Uh it's not coming up. Um uh I'll put a link. How about that? I'll put a link in the description if you if you want to go there. But it's pretty uh, amazing, all the stuff they do. And print quality is excellent. And the they got these blankets are so
0: cool. I never thought I'd want to see my, my artwork on blankets, but they're amazing. Uh, yeah. So anyway, I'm excited about that. And uh, I think, you know, eventually maybe I'll raise the prices a little bit. Right now. I'm just letting them set the prices. It's part of a, a deal. If you let them set the prices, then you get promoted on their website and you get, um, included in all the sales they have and they kind of deal with it, but you make less money. So I might, you know, I'll probably eventually raise the prices a few bucks. So I make me at least making like five bucks a shirt or something. So now it's probably a good time to get stuff. Um, but and and also I just have barely anything up there. Just maybe I don't know ten designs, but there I've got hundreds of paintings. So there's just going to be like everything. And if there's any requests, just hit me up. I'll I'll put it up there. Why not? Uh, so that's kind of exciting. I'm also finishing this Hellboy pa- portrait painting for gary Diocampo's hellboy 20 i think it's a 25th anniversary uh group show that he invited me to be in and gary's such i don't i I haven't been doing group shows lately but gary is such a great guy such a great supporter that uh i basically will do whatever he's he's doing because he's just a great person i like him a lot and uh so i'm doing uh, a hellboy painting which i'm posting on my patreon so you can see the progress of it in a time-lapse. If you want to join my Patreon, my personal one, it's patreon.com slash Chet But um, I'm creating a uh, portrait based on my interpretation of the comic rather than the thing I'm most associated with, which is the Guillermo uh, del Toro uh, film. So it's not the Ron Perlman makeup. It's kind of just sort of my take on it based on the, the comic. Um so that's what I've been up to that having that sale, you know, putting the dog down. That's pretty much what's been going on. Just busy, busy, busy. And um, all right. So let's get on with new subscribers. Oh, there are no new subscribers. I see Stephen Russell Black pledged, but I
1: thought he was already a subscriber. So I don't know what happened there, but thank you, Stephen, for uh, subscribing again uh
0: let's see okay so that's it but if you want to join and get the podcast a day early or sometimes even two days early you can go to patreon.com slash dark art society that supports the podcast keeps it free for everyone and oh i forgot to mention the the hellboy show is this coming
1: saturday at copro gallery i believe i think it's this saturday yeah it is this saturday um uh, look at my calendar oh it's got to be this saturday right december 14th okay i think it is um so yeah that's going to be a good show and then the yeah uh, if you want to join the patreon and get the dark art society patreon join you get on the uh uh yeah it's december 14th god i'm scattered <clears throat> sorry about that hellboy shows december 14th 6 to 10 p.m at copper gallery um oh and alan williams is going to be he's going to be having his show too alan williams is amazing i gotta get him on the podcast he's incredible super talented
0: guy um anyway if you want to join the patreon dark arts uh, patreon.com slash dark society get the podcast a day early and. The uh, website is really working amazingly well. So you get you get entry into the website, and you know just be part of the community, basically, part of the inner circle. And what's cool about being part of that inner circle is that we're throwing ideas around and sort of uh, you know developing this thing amongst ourselves. The people that are willing to kick in at least a buck a month. To help out, you know, it's it's a great scene. I'm telling you, a lot a lot is happening in the in the Dark Art Society cooperative group on Facebook, and um it's gonna be everything's gonna be moving to the website.
1: Okay, let's get on with the five questions. Speaking of the um the website, darkartsociety.com. Oh, come on. Did I navigate away from that? Maybe I did. I'm going to answer questions from the
0: darkartsociety.com website because I asked members to ask to give me some questions for the five
1: questions, so I'm taking them from the website. Okay. Let's see. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Here's a great question. Jace Daniels, what do you dislike about your work? Uh, I wouldn't say I dislike anything about my work, but I could say what I dislike about my own
0: ability is that I would just like to be able to paint
1: looser more easily. I would like to be able to create dynamic poses more easily without reference.
0: I mean, it's kind of dumb because you know reference isn't a bad thing but i do like the freedom of just being able to draw out of my head and having it be right um so yeah maybe some of the work some of my work gets too tight
1: or tighter than i would like it to be but that's really more of uh i don't know
0: artistic vanity in a way like i I really respect people that can paint loose and have it look tight. And um, so it's like a, just a personal thing for me. And since my tendency is to, to go in and tighten things up, you know, you always appreciate it's a grass. Grass is always greener syndrome, but I, you know, I generally like my work. I wouldn't be putting it out if I, if I didn't like it, everything, you know,
1: I'm pretty happy with it. I like it. Even the tight stuff, I like it. I mean, and I like doing it. Um, So uh,
0: if I was to have to answer the question, what do you dislike about your work? I would say
1: maybe it's tighter than I would like it to be, but that's not always true. I don't know. Okay. Uh,
0: John Twig Hyde. What was one of your best collaborations, whether for, for the camaraderie or the art itself well the the uh uh collaboration that i just did with christopher ulrich at the closing show of the dark art society group show was the best art uh painting collaboration i've ever done for sure i mean that's that was amazing i talked about that i think last week but uh you know the the collaborations with tool were i'm really proud of um just because you know the product is great the the final videos were great um,
1: those you know t- so collaborating with adam was is is uh, is fun and um <clears throat> collaborating with mike Carell on the on the documentary he did about me it was great that's that was probably one of the best collaborations i was ever involved with um uh, the Guillermo del Toro collaborations were great too. You know, I can't pick one,
0: but I've had some great collaborations. Uh, if you're talking about a painting, it would have to be the Christopher Ulrich painting for the
1: camaraderie and the art itself. Okay. So that's two. Um, this here's a Here's a great question.
0: Christopher Meyer. Would you rather produce and sell a ton of smaller paintings, prints and posters, and mystery boxes a year, or three to four large fine art pieces? Equivalent proceeds, just a matter of shipping and fan interaction versus a more more cloistered existence. Well, obviously, the way that I'm doing it now is, you know, selling a ton of smaller paintings, prints and posters, and mystery boxes. I have never had the opportunity
1: to make what I need to make from three or four large fine art paintings. Um, I, I feel like my, uh, my, uh, uh, my natural inclination would be
0: to just from me personally and the way I like to live would probably be creating three or four large paintings a year And just being cloistered because I'm really, you know, an introverted person. I like to be alone. I like to be in the studio by myself creating work, the fan interaction and stuff. And I do enjoy getting my work out to a lot of people as opposed to just a few people with a ton of money. I, I I mean that's one of the benefits. It's it's always that six of one, half a dozen of another situation when it comes to this stuff, you know. It's like there's pluses and minuses on both sides and you know, I just I do what I can and whatever's working for me and I go with that. It's so how I've always approached my <clears throat> my career is just, you know, go with what's working and keep trying to develop what's working. Uh, and you know there's there's a lot of benefits as well to doing to selling smaller stuff to more people it's uh because if you got three or four super rich people that you're painting for and they're and they're uh, and they decide to stop buying your work then
1: you're kind of out of luck and then you haven't been building up you know the relationships with your fans so <clears throat>
0: I mean I remember one year or a couple of years Guillermo was buying Guillermo del Toro was buying just about everything I was making. And it was like, wow, okay, this this dude's a
1: patron. He's supporting me. This was years years and years ago, probably two thousand eight, two thousand and nine. And he just finally he said he came, he
0: I saw him somewhere and he's like, I gotta stop buying your paintings. I'm a chetaholic. And I have to stop. So I'm not going to buy any more of your paintings. I was like, okay. I mean, I can't can't say anything because he's been supporting me generously for a, a couple of years there. And and he did end up buying some pieces later, but he just wasn't buying them at the same rate. And he doesn't buy like he used to, But but every once in a while he'll buy a piece. But point being, it made me realize that when you have just a few larger patrons, they can just, you know, they run out of room in their homes. For for storing the art, or they feel like they've got enough in their collection, or they're not earning
1: enough. So, <clears throat> I think in the long run, it's it's definitely better better to to do it the way I'm doing it now because I can always count on um, the, the larger
0: number of fans. Uh, more, uh, I just feel like it's it's more
1: secure that way, if that makes sense. Okay, so that was one, two, three. Okay, I got two more. Um, hmm.
0: Caleb Oz, good deal. Are the denizens of dystopia creative? Do they like to make art or music? That's a pretty good question. Really, and I haven't thought about it. I hadn't thought about it up until you asked that question. So that makes me think that maybe not. I mean, the dystopia to me is, is a place where all of the beings kind of are in this sort of trance and they're just kind of on remote control and they don't really know what's going on or what they're doing, why they're there, what they're supposed to, they kind of just know, they just follow their, their, um, instincts kind of, and just do what they do. So, I don't think there's a lot of art or music in dystopia, but uh, maybe there is. I don't know yet. Dystopia is a big place, and I have not explored much much of it in the in in
1: um you know in the uh, the words aren't coming today in the uh, potential
0: realm of how big it is in my mind. You know, it's there's way more unexplored than has
1: been explored. That's for sure. Okay. Last question. Let me find the best one on here.
0: Okay, Derek Moore, would you try getting Alex Gray on the podcast? Uh yes. I would he says he he asks I would love to hear you guys talk about psychedelic experience, shadow work, etc. I would absolutely love to get Alex on the podcast and I'll tell you why I haven't asked him yet. One he, I just I have a lot of respect for him and I uh, saw so on one hand I'm kind of nervous to ask him because he's you know he's kind of a, somewhat of a mentor to me I, I I have him up on a bit of a pedestal because he was kind of there when I was first starting and and, and he I don't, I've told the story before that Adam set up a meeting with me and him and um and uh, alex looked at my work and said oh you'll make it
1: you'll make it. I was just starting out doing digital stuff and I had some prints and, um, Hey, I'm recording and everyone's out there talking loud. Sorry. Um, so,
0: you know, I we have that relationship sort of, so uh, it's hard to, to view him as a peer, even though we may kind of be in a way, but, uh, so there's that. And also he, uh, I, I know everybody hits him up and wants things from
1: him and I just hate to be another person bothering him. I'm sure he's busy. And, uh, so those are why I haven't asked him, but he's, you know, up on my list for sure at the top. So,
0: uh, I'll, I should just ask him. I will ask him eventually. I'm going to ask him, ask him to be in the podcast. He's also been so cool
1: to me. He, he, you know, it was in my documentary. Uh, He had no problem with that. He was just the coolest guy. And so I just don't want to bother him, but it would be great because Alex is totally into dark
0: art. I don't know if you're aware, but he was a monster kid. He told me he was a monster kid growing up. He he you know, he showed me pictures. He did of skeletons and graveyards, same shit I was doing when I was a kid. Um, So he's gone to some dark places with his work and he, you know, some of his work even now is still, um, he touches on that. He sees the whole thing as part of the visionary movement, dark, the dark art movement as one aspect of visionary art, which I suppose it is. So, okay. Uh, yeah. So I'll get him on. I also, you know, I want to get Mike Watt. I don't know how many of you are, into Mike Watt but I'm such a huge fan of his and I do have access and I think he said he would maybe come on even and but god I just I look up to him so much that it's really hard for me to ask uh, I just I don't know I, I geek out same with Rick Baker Rick Baker
1: said he would come on the show and I just have been too chicken to to ask him again uh, so anyway you know it's all silly I know
0: Anyway, enough of my blathering. Let's get on with it. Here is my interview with Eric Gist. Enjoy. Hello, Eric. How you doing, Chad? Good. Thanks for coming on. I appreciate you taking the time. And, uh, you, know, you know, I'm a huge fan of yours. Yeah, um, yeah, and it's mutual. And
2: uh, I'm a big fan of the podcast as well. So,
0: yeah, I'm looking forward to this. It's great. It's so nice to have people on our side that are really badass know their shit you know they really know <laughs> what they're doing it's it's like uh, you know the more people like you and the brahms and people that are into monsters you know it just kind of uh uh supports our thesis that dark art is a valid art form you know what I mean? Yeah, it's,
2: it seems to be getting more and more common, too, that a lot right. of legit, uh, for lack of a better term, academics mm-hmm. are uh, are being attracted to the, to the genre arts in general, but especially, right. yeah, dark art and horror art, yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's cool. I mean, I, I did a little bit of research on you because I don't know anything about you other than, you know, I love your work and I see you at Monster Palooza once a year usually <laughs> and say, hey, how's it going? You got to come on the podcast. <laughs> and then, you know, and then we don't <laughs> see each other for the rest of the convention. But um, uh, I didn't realize, I don't know, we have a lot in common just with the, you know, when you, you I, I watched an interview and you said the, the uh, I think it was, uh, the guy who runs the, the Watts atelier that, that you work at. Um, yeah. Jeff. Yeah. Jeff. Yeah. Jeff Watts. Right. His name yep. is. Yeah, he um asked you what you would want to paint if you could just paint anything, and you were like monsters. <laughs> and I was yeah, like, yeah. yes. <laughs> it's like I so get that. You know, that was amazing. That was amazing. So uh, you don't hear that from a lot of people that even kind of do it. You know, some people kind of do that stuff at conventions, and then they have their other thing that they do. And it's like, you, but you don't hear people that have that preference very often that are that are as technically skilled as you. You know? I
2: think it's more common than people realize. It's just that's not the thing that like if you want to go into fine art, that's not the thing you're going to throw out in an interview. Like everyone's a fan of Frazetta, but no, very few people admit it in an interview. Right. 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 Like, but then as artists get together, everyone's like, oh, Frazetta. You know, right. but then you see him in an interview and it's like,
0: oh, sergeant. And, you know, not the sergeant's not great. Right. But, right. Absolutely. You know. Yeah. And the other thing that um, I noticed that we have in common is the love of James Bama. Right. Yeah. yeah. Amazing. I mean, he's one of my favorites. I never mentioned him for some reason. Cause for me, it's like Frazetta Giger and Beckshinsky are kind of the top three f- for me. But Bama is, is in there as probably almost as, as heavily as uh Frazetta was. Cause I grew up, my dad was a painter illustrator. He turned me on to Frazetta and onto James Bama. And uh, oh, cool. yeah, his stuff's just, you know, just makes me crazy. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs>
2: It's funny because uh, my my, you know, for lack of a better term, my lineage, my artistic family tree um, is connected to him because he was a Frank Riley student. Oh, no way. And that's the methodology that we teach at Watts And in fact, even the guy that started the school, Jeff, went to was roommates with him. Oh, my God. Are, are you serious League. So, yeah. Wow. Yeah. And I, I didn't know that when I first started the school and I was already a huge fan. Well, huge fan. I was a fan of his work because I read the Doc Savage books right. and I loved his covers for the Doc Savage books. Um, and then when I was at the school after a while, that kind of came out, and I was like, well, I guess I'm at the right place then, because if this is how he learned, then yeah, right. This is what I wanted
0: to <laughs> do. Yeah, but, that place looks amazing. I mean, that that's, oh, that's the school that I would want to go to, because I, I didn't go to school <laughs> or anything for, for art, so it's like... Um, i hear your kitty there oh yeah he's
2: uh, now that i'm sitting here on the couch they're all gonna no it's all it's great it's it's great i love
0: that we love that we love we love barks and snoring dogs in the background and meowing cats it's all good it's like very animal friendly podcast um uh but what was i oh yeah that school looks amazing i mean you hear so many horror stories about art colleges and art schools and, you know, I, I, my dad, um, he used to tell me that, you know, he felt like he didn't want, this is, you know, I graduated in 1985 from high school and he was kind of like wary of me going to art school because he felt like he went in the late sixties, I guess. And he felt like as an illustrator kind of made things difficult for him because it was all about, you know, abstract expressionism and stuff he was not into,
2: yeah, I mean, a lot of art schools don't really uh, teach craft, right. which is what you
0: need as an illustrator. Mm-hmm. They teach uh, conceptualization and
2: the idea of being an artist, not so much the craft and skill that goes into it before you ever become
0: an artiste. Right, you which know, is the, so the absurd. <laughs> to me, yeah, it right? seems ridiculous. I
2: yeah, think anybody, yeah,
0: it's pretty crazy. Yeah, yeah, it's, 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 it's like the... Uh, I mean, there is an element to that in art. There's an element oh, to, sure. to yeah. the meaning and, you know, being an artist and, you know, all that stuff. But it's just funny how in the mainstream blue chip art world, that has be- become more important than craft, you know, it's right. crazy to me.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, people are always afraid. I mean, the big thing I've heard is like, well, I don't want to lose my voice. It's like, you're not going to lose your voice. And if you do, it, maybe it wasn't a voice worth hanging on to Right? <laughs>
0: if 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 good craft overrides it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you got to know what you're doing to express the idea as best as you can. It's like, how can right. you express your idea if you don't know how, you know, uh, how to paint a ball and reflected light on the bottom of it and all that stuff? Right, it's right. like, you know, you can't do it. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. So if I was going to go to a school, that's the school, or that's, you know, I have these fantasies now as a, as a <laughs> you know, middle-aged dude. It's like, oh, I'd love to go to that school. It'd be so much fun now, now that you, you know, now that school is not a drag. <laughs> Man, anytime you want to come down and draw, just, just let me know. And I'll,
2: I'll tell you when I'm down there, you can just pop in and draw in a class. You oh, want. cool.
0: Thanks. I appreciate it. All right. Do you li- you live, you, are you down near there? Cause they're like in the yeah, San I'm, Diego
2: area kind of. Uh, the school's in Encinitas, just right off Encinitas Boulevard, mm. and I live just a little bit north of there in Carlsbad. Oh,
0: Carlsbad. So do you
1: know
2: yeah. Vanessa Lemon? I was actually roommates with Vanessa and Ron for about four years. Wow. I was roommates with Ron for quite a while, and then Vanessa for a few years once they got married. So mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, I know Ron and Vanessa real well.
0: What a trip. Yeah, it's you have a, a, a little community down there in, in that area. It's a trip. Yeah, yeah. There's a ton of artists. I mean, a lot of them are or because
2: of uh, Jeff coming down here and starting the school. But then there's even a ton of other people like uh, Tim Bradstreet's down here in the area. So yeah, San Diego has got kind of a little like art suburb because we're close enough right. to LA that you can get work there, but you don't have to live there. Right. <laughs>
0: so. Yeah. That's why I moved out into the, I'm, I'm away from the LA area cause it's too crazy right. for me in, in uh, downtown or in the, you know, LA proper. But, um, all right, let's get to let's get the boring stuff out of the way. Okay, so, <laughs> um, so you obviously you must have been an art kid in school. I'm yeah. sure of oh, it, yeah. You know, because you know you're too good not to have. You must have been great when you were a kid. <laughs> I'm sure. So, were you like the 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 art kid in school? Were you the main artist in in your school? Certainly I
2: was I was one of them. I mean it seemed like there were always kind of you know 3 or 4 right. other guys that were hanging <laughs> out with me but those 3 or 4 other guys seemed to change uh, and right. I was always there. So yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Um and it was a little unusual where I came from because I came from a very uh, sort of rural blue collar town. It mm. was a tiny little town. I mean I think when I was a kid there was 8,000 people that lived in the town, like literally a one stop light town. Where was this? Uh, uh, Alpine out in, uh, just east of San Diego. It's yeah. pretty much, if you head out on the eight, it's the last like proper town that you go through before you head out into nowhere. Uh, okay. Uh, so it was, it's like the town that everyone stopped at to get gas before heading out to Arizona. Right. Uh, <laughs> that was the town I grew up in. So yeah, there wasn't a lot of, uh, art out there and no one in my family really did it. So
0: yeah, it was, it was, I was definitely, you know, where I grew up, I was definitely the art kid. Right. And were you the uh, into monsters and stuff back then as well? Monsters and superheroes mostly. Those Uh, are my two things. Yeah, it's uh,
2: horror movies
0: and and superhero comics. How did that go over in your town, in your small town?
2: Um, You know, I I was pretty fortunate. I never really got grief for it at all. My parents were always – I mean even though they they were understanding of me doing it, they didn't really understand – what I did mm-hmm. I, I, sometimes I still kind of question a little bit whether they do <laughs> uh, I mean they know I do art but I think they're just now kind of wrapping their brain around exactly what it is that I do and how you know there's not just an artist there's no such thing as being an artist right you know it's right. Like everyone kind of has their little niche and their specialty yeah um, so um so I think you know now they're kind of wrapping their head around it especially as I get more work and you see my work out there in more kind of mainstream places they get it a little bit more right uh but well, they, teaching too, you know. Still understand. Yeah, yeah, teaching they definitely understood. Right. Uh, my brother is uh, a teacher as well of sorts. He uh, he's a colonel in the military, but he he teaches at West Point. Um, So he does that as well. And my dad was a sports coach all growing up. And oh wow! Uh, so they, they got that part, yeah, you know, for sure. They 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 definitely understand what I'm doing there.
0: Right. Uh, wow.
2: But uh, yeah, they were always real supportive, though. I mean, even though they didn't, I, I think they didn't always really understand exactly what was going through my head. They were always really supportive of it, so that was that was especially great on their part that even when they didn't get it, they still
0: got it. You know? Yeah. <laughs> so, no, <that's>, that <laughs> must means they're cool people. I mean. Yeah,
2: they're super great. Yeah.
0: That's that's you know, it's one thing to support something that you're into for for your kids, but if if you're not into it. And, and, and you're still supportive of it and you don't quite get it. I mean, that's like, it takes a little effort. So that's really cool. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, okay. Um, what was, what was the tra- trajectory of your career? Like when you got out of high school and how did you get into this field really? Um, when I got out of high school, it was actually kind of scary for me. Cause again, I didn't really, um,
2: I didn't really understand it. I didn't get it. I mean, I knew that you could be an artist for a living, but even that was a fairly recent understanding to me growing up. Like when I was growing up and I read comics, I seriously thought that most of them were guys that were like had day jobs. And oh really? Did <laughs> comics on the side. It's like, yeah, they made some live, they made some money at it, but mm. you know, they're only like the elite elite guys did it like for a living. And then I went to comic con for the first time when I was a junior in high school. And that was my first exposure to the fact that no, these guys, these guys, this is a profession. This right. is a, a trade that you can learn. Mm. Um, but then I, that just only upped my frustration even more because I didn't know how to learn to do that. Uh, so right. I just didn't, I didn't get it. And even once I, once I went to college, you know, same thing we were talking about earlier, I didn't feel like I was getting what I needed. Mm. Um, and so the frustration just built and built and built to the point where I was like, well, I don't think I want to do this. I don't think I can do this for a living. I I just don't understand. I don't know what I'm doing beyond just, you know, what natural ability I had. Yeah. Um, And so I was actually going to change my major in school and do something else and then just keep doing art for myself. And just as fate happens, sometimes I literally found out about Jeff's school like that semester. Oh, wow. And it, and, it, and it changed everything for me because I walked in, I saw how many people were good. And I thought that this can't be a coincidence. Right. You know, this this place has
0: to at least play a part in these people getting good. There's right. Just, there's too many of them. Right. Right. And the teachers are all amazing. I mean, it's just. Well, back then, amazing. it was tiny. There oh, was there yeah? was
2: there was yeah, it was there was two teachers. In fact, there was Ron Lemon. Uh, he was teaching there at the time oh. and uh, and and Jeff. And that was that was it. And it was the school is much smaller than it is now. There was only I think four classes a week and oh, wow. average about 12 students in the class and it was downtown back when downtown San Diego wasn't really some place you wanted to hang out right. it's, not, it's not like it is now you know with you know Petco Park and right. the gas lamp and all that stuff it's 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 a nice place to go but wow. yeah back then not so much what a trip uh, yeah so it was yeah, it was interesting. It was in an old 1800s building, which was pretty cool. I mean, there was bolt holes in the ceiling. Oh, uh, that sounds amazing. Yeah, it, was, <laughs> it was nuts. It was actually, yeah, it was pretty awesome. But we, needless to say, we didn't have a lot of female students because it wasn't, you know, someplace that a lot of young women want to go and hang out at right. you know, 11 o'clock at night right. walking back
0: to their car. So Right, right. Uh, wow. So yeah. So you went there and uh, you, I, I saw in, in the interview that you were doing with Jeff that um, – you basically took like all the classes you could.
2: That was after I'd been there about a, a year and a half. I oh, did okay. that because at the time I was only about a year and a half away from getting my degree, and my parents had helped me out a lot. So I felt it would have been kind of just like spitting in their face a little bit to just quit on my degree halfway right, through, especially right. when it was just another year and a half. Oh yeah. So sure. in the meantime, I took a, a, a class or two um, as I could afford it and then uh and while going to school full time and working part time uh then once I graduated from college then I started basically every class that Jeff offered I took especially for the next like 8 months mm-hmm. while I was looking for you know a proper grown up job right uh, and uh which I got about 8 months after I graduated and then, even then, I still kept taking pretty much as many classes as I could that didn't conflict with my work schedule. Was It It, um, wasn't, so yeah, the, it, it wasn't an art job? It was just kind of a regular it was. Job. Yeah, it was, it, was in, it was in video games. Oh, so, okay. Yeah. I got my degree in graphic design, so those were the first jobs I interviewed for. But at the time, being able to draw and knowing the computer was kind of unique. Right. I mean, now it's almost every artist knows how right, to use right. a computer. But back then, that was kind of unusual. So I got a job in video games because they wanted people who could draw and people... could use a computer
0: it's so so, it's so weird um i swear this keeps happening on the podcast like uh i think three podcasts in a row i ended up doing completely unplanned like uh three artists from i think it was two from australia and one from new zealand and then the last couple i did were people that got into video games early or uh (laughs) were using computer stuff like andrew mccarthy was talking about he got into video games and and started doing computer animation stuff like in the early nineties or something. And then Terry Wolfinger was the one before that. And he was talking about how he, uh, same, just, he, he was able to learn the computer and stuff when it was first being developed and uh, for animation and stuff. So it's, it's just kind of a weird little tangent (laughs) that that you got, you got into that early. But, um, uh, so, so what, what were you doing for the video game company?
2: I kind of got hired as the the guy who could draw. Um, so mostly I was uh, sort of the idea was that, Oh, I'd come in and if they needed any concept design, I'd be the guy to do it. Even though I wasn't really a con, I wasn't really anything yet. I mean, right. I was 22, 23. Right. And just right out of college. So I wasn't really anything yet, but they, the guy hired was his idea was that he didn't want to hire a lot of like people who'd been working in video games for a long time because it tends to kind of turn people into cynics Mm. And he didn't want that. So he hired a couple of experienced guys and then hired a lot of new young guys. And I was one of them. And I was kind of designated as the guy who could draw. So mm. if there was something they needed to be drawn, then I drew it. But I ended up doing a little bit of everything. Yeah. Um, I did texture stuff. I did, uh, I learned modeling kind of on the job. I, huh. I knew a little bit of 3D, but not much. Right. Um, so then I learned 3D on the job and did some of that. Uh, a little bit of animation, just kind of whatever. It was a small studio when I first. I think I was employee number six. Oh wow! And I started the same day as employee number five. I think <laughs> I who owned the place was employee number one. So <laughs> yeah, there wasn't a lot of us. Um, but then it grew from there, and um, and I think at its height, I think it was probably somewhere around fifteen people. Um, so still a pretty small studio, but mm. you know, it got bigger over time. It sounds like a pretty cool job though for your first uh, it was. job, right? Yeah, I mean I haven't worked in video games in sh- over fifteen years for sure, probably eighteen years. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I still have really good friends that I met during that time. You're so right. that I stay in touch with. So yeah, it was a cool it was a cool time. Plus being young, you know, that that, that first real job you have, if you get in with a good group of people, you, you never forget that. It's kinda oh, like yeah. the standby thing, right? It's like yeah. you never <laughs> have friends the same way. Right. So. <laughs>
0: Yeah, the first first big effects gig I got was on this movie called The Blob, like the remake of The Blob. Yeah, yeah. And uh, oh my god, it was like it, the combination of it was like all these amazing uh, effects guys, like Rick, a bunch of Rick Baker guys that did American Werewolf effects, and and um, and the combination of being so young and having it be your first job and having it be you know a big budget movie, it was just like everything was like kind of downhill from there (laughs) in the film industry because it was so good it was so much fun it was such a great great time but um so okay so you uh were you teaching at the atelier by then or
2: um let's see uh I started working in video games first and then about six months later I started teaching I think I filled in for Jeff a few times like when he had to go out of town or Mm -hmm. something like that so it's our substitute taught for him a couple of times but i didn't really start teaching till about six months after i started working in video games okay so you've been teaching that whole time or or yeah yeah i mean i haven't missed a semester in 20 over 20 years wow yeah, so amazing yeah yeah. it's been a been a long time in fact i give jeff a hard time that i tell that i tell him uh, I, i've taught more sequential semesters than he has <laughs> because he the semester that i started he had just taken a semester off to go to Morocco mm-hmm. and kind of reassess his life a little bit and figure out what he wanted to do. Cause he got offered a big job with uh, DreamWorks oh, wow. and he was trying to figure out whether he wanted to go do that or keep pursuing being an easel painter and running the school. And so he went off, he took a semester off. So then he came back and then, uh, I took classes all along. And then just recently last year, or the year before he went and uh, walked the Camino in Spain. Oh, and so wow. he took a summer session off. So I give him a hard time. I say that I've taught more more continuous semesters than he has. <laughs>
0: slacker. <laughs> Jeff, you slacker. <laughs> well, that's cool, man. Um, yeah, so that's like, how often are you teaching? Is is that is that like a regular job? Or, I mean, how many hours are you doing it? For like certain hours, certain days? or
2: It changes. So uh, the way our, our classes work is we have uh, 10 weeks on and then three or four weeks off, and then we have a five-week summer session. Oh, that's great. Uh, and each session I'll teach uh, five or six classes, mm-hmm. uh, and each class is three hours once a week. So I guess on an, uh, on a typical semester I'd be teaching, uh, what six times three, so 18 hours a week just in class time. And then, you know, there's prep. So it might come out to say, just call it 25 hours a week Okay. That I, that I spend on teaching stuff. That's
0: cool. Uh, so you have time to do your own work and illustration work and, and, and stuff as well. Yeah, and then I typically probably match that doing you know freelance stuff at home. So. That's cool. Yeah, it Is makes that, for
2: a long week, but I enjoy it also. Right, you know.
0: right. Yeah, yeah. That I was going to say that that seems like a um like financially a comfortable uh, way it pays to live. pay the bills. You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we don't we don't miss
2: any bills. So yeah, yeah right. It's, it's, That's the thing
0: <laughs> when you're when you're uh, freelancing a hundred percent or just doing your own artwork. It's It's crazy. I mean, that's Patreon has become that for me, like it's money I get every month, which is the first time since I left the uh, film industry in like 2000, I don't even remember, 2010 or something, 2009 or something. So it's kind of nice to have steady income, no matter how much you're coming in, you know.
2: Well, it's one of the nice things about working in comics, too, is that, you know, occasionally you'll get on a monthly book. And so then it's as close to a paycheck as you're going to get as a freelancer, where right. you just – every month you have at least that cover. I mean, right. that's not going to be enough to pay all your bills, but at least you know you've got that right. every single month. So yeah. when you get on a stretch like that, it's 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 pretty nice.
0: Yeah. How often do you do that? And, and are you – I don't know anything about the comic industry at all. Like I just – I never – I never got uh, met anybody really that, that I knew that was doing it. So it's like, right? It's it's like, are you a cover artist? Is that like a thing? Is that sort of the highest thing you can become as the cover artist? Or uh, I would I wouldn't say the highest
2: thing, um, but uh, it is a thing, and it, and it's what I've done. I haven't ever done any interiors you know, professionally. Mm-hmm. Um, I've done some samples, and I'm kind of trying to dip my toe in the water. The problem with that is that. It's if you're an interior artist, that's usually that's what you are and that's what you do Mm -hmm. um, because it's so demanding. I mean, yeah,
0: pretty much a deadline every day. That's what it seems like. It would be so crazy to do that. I can see doing one, maybe, you know, one comic or something. But just uh, all the time, you know, it seems crazy. The guys that you look at that have like a 20,
2: 30, 40 year career of doing interiors and there aren't many of them. Mm -hmm. I don't know how they do it. It would my brain would melt. I think yeah just deadlines put give me so much stress and then if you have a deadline every day mm-hmm. yeah it would yeah. it would i mean it's not quite like that but more or less it's a deadline every day yeah and that that would drive me nuts i don't i i want to do some of it but just like as a side thing like if i could get like an eight page like backup story or something right i'd be happy with that but yeah mostly what i do is covers okay. yeah uh, that seems so, like it'd
0: be the most fun to me though the cover it, it's it,
2: it's a kick. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's, it's really enjoyable. I mean, I got to work with, uh, Del Toro on the strain comic. Right. I know that, that was really cool. Um, that was pretty much a highlight of my career at right. this point. It's, and I got to do that. That was like
0: three or four years that we did that. So how, how often were yeah, you, were you doing a, a cover like once a month or
2: it was mostly once a month, but there was little gaps in there. So like, uh, I'd say every six issues or so they'd take a, a month or two off. Mm. Um, So, cause, uh, also the guy who was doing the interiors also was doing like pretty much all of it. Mm. Um, and, and they were, I think they might've even been 32 page books and not 22. Mm. Um, so that's more than a page a a day, you know, monthly. So yeah, every once in a while they'd had to, they had to take a month or two off that I think was pretty much scheduled in. And then also because the books were based on novels. So it was sort of broken up into three sections. Mm. They could take a break in between the books so, right. I guess it was more like three maxi series rather than an actual ongoing monthly, but it was more or less an ongoing monthly.
0: Right. Wow. So, yeah, that's another connection we have is the Garammo connection. Yeah. You know, he's awesome. Do you, have, I, th- did I think
2: most, most all artists that, uh, that work in dark art. That's true. That's I've, true. I met Garammo one time <laughs> or another.
0: <laughs> yeah. He's like the pa- patron saint of of dark artists, kind of. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I actually met him at Monsterpalooza. That's where I uh, met him. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, I I remember one time before uh, uh, Monster Palooza, I was when I was working in, in the shop still. Um, he came into Spectral Motion, the shop I was working at, and he just pu- he was like, "Yeah, I'm getting ready to go to Monster Palooza," and he pulled out this fucking huge wad of cash.
1: <laughs> it
0: was seriously <laughs> yep. like that big, and, and that's I, pretty
2: much how he rolls. Yeah, he yeah. just walks
0: through and whatever he likes, he buys. Yeah, yeah, I think he gets in early. He goes in early yeah. before the, the crowds come in, which is pretty. Now amazing.
2: he does. When I first met him, he was he. Oh, I, yeah. I'm trying right. to think. I think he I, I think he j- just done Hellboy. So, mm. I mean, people knew who he right. was. But he wasn't but at the
0: level he's at now.
2: Yeah. Now he, he can't go anywhere.
0: Yeah.
2: I walked around Comic-Con with him one time after we did a signing together and he had his whole security detail and he still got mauled. Wow. So, yeah, yeah. he can't do anything now.
0: Well, wow. That's crazy. It's like it's so great. What it's it's a bummer for him because I'm sure it's not fun when it when it gets to that level, but right. it is cool to see one of us because I he's like one of us. You know, he definitely
2: is. Yeah, no question. <laughs> you know, it's it's so
0: cool to see one of us get up there, get an Academy Award, and get to that level. Yeah. It's like you know, there's hope hope for us. That's why I'm, I'm you know when I think of a lot of people talk about um, uh, uh, dark art is you know it's not marketable and you can't ever make a living at it, or you could never make decent money at it. You know, I think of, I think of, uh, Guillermo, even though he's not a fine, and it's not about painting. It's still, it's, he's working in that art form of dark. It's the same general idea. Yeah. 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 I think if Guillermo, I think of Stephen King, I think of Clive Barker, those dudes are all super rich, you know, they're super successful. They've made it in that, um, field. So that's why I, I think it's possible for us to, to do it too, in our own, Way you know,
2: and again, you're starting to see that more and more. Yeah. Uh, I mean, unfortunately, Wrightson never really got to yeah cash in on it himself, but he's got that cover from Frankenstein that's going on auction, and it's expected to go to like one point two right, one point two million. Wow. So crazy, you know. I mean, again, it's a shame that he never got to know. you know, I know see the see the the uh, the money from that kind of stuff, but, but Frizetta I mean, though it's there, Frazetta Frazetta yeah, Frazetta did. did, you know, absolutely.
0: He, He's another, and Brom,
2: I mean, I, right.
0: I, I can't imagine Brom's doing too poorly. So Yeah, no, I think yeah. he's he's doing all right. He was <laughs> uh, he was on the podcast. We had him on. It was pretty amazing. Yeah. It's funny to hear all the concerns he had about, you know, just the insecurities and stuff that we all have and the imposter syndrome and being oh, yeah. lonely and being alone in the studio and not, not hanging out with anybody because you're painting all the time. It's like, yeah. You know, it just goes to show, you You know, I I had, I definitely had put Brahm up on a pedestal because he was a big influence on me and just to sit down and talk to him and just see, he's just a cool, normal guy. One of us as well. You know, it's, yeah, it's
2: amazing. I mean, all these guys that you say that you look at them and you go, oh man, they've made it. Right. Talk to them and they go through the same stuff you do. Yeah. It's like, what is making it? It's like, oh, I paid my bills again this month. That's,
0: that's making it. Right. Right. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. If I would have looked at myself before I went out, like probably early 2000s when I was like, okay, I'm going to be a fine artist. If I would have looked at myself now, I'd be like, oh, if I got to that point, I would, that would be it. I would have <laughs> ma- made it. And now I'm here and I'm like, you know, it's good, but I'm still trying to get, you know, a little bit so I don't have to work quite as hard, you know, just a little yeah. bit further. And then I could say I've made it, but yeah, it would be nice to not have to put in 50-, 60-hour weeks. Right. <laughs>
2: yeah. I mean, I don't mind doing it because I enjoy what I'm right. doing, but it would
0: be nice to not have to do exactly, it. Exactly, exactly. And the older you get, the harder it gets to do, too. That's what I'm finding. Yeah. Uh, the, just, you know, it's it's physically like I used to be able to recover from an all-nighter, you know, maybe i sleep the next day and I'd be ready to go, and now it take, it screws me up for like a week if I have to oh, do yeah. that now. It's really painful but you know yeah
2: no it's it's like my energy level sapped right now because i've just had a string of tight deadlines and then it seems like something pops up every time i've got a day off there's something that i have to go do and i just i still haven't quite recovered from it and there was shoot probably two or three weeks ago and i still i'm still feeling (laughs) it because i got sick on top of it but oh yeah yeah (laughs) i know
0: i just got sick too like Two days ago or three days ago, I started getting this head cold, and it's like I finally got the flu shot this year, and then I get like a cold (laughs) or whatever this is. Um, okay, so, uh, how did you uh, wind up doing comics? How did that? How did you? Is that something you do a lot? I mean.
2: It's, it's it, most of my freelance. Um, so not private commissions, but most of my actual contracted freelance is comic stuff now. I mean, I do, yeah. you know, a little bit of magic, the gathering and some other stuff here and there if a cool job comes along. Mm-hmm. Um, but now most of it, most of it's comics and it's, it's what I targeted. That's mm-hmm. what I always wanted to do. In fact, when, when I was putting my portfolio together, uh, both Jeff and his dad, who's also, uh, a, an amazing artist, Robert Watts, mm-hmm. um, they both kind of gave me the same advice and it was, don't put anything in your portfolio that you don't want to do. Right. And I think it's a mistake that a lot of young artists make is that they they chase trends or they chase whatever chase whatever's popular. And right. They don't realize their career is going to be hopefully, you know, 40, 50 years long. And the, and that's going to change. So whatever's hot now, is not going to be hot 10 right. years from now. Yep. Uh, so I just even though when I started trying to look for freelance comics, were probably at an all time low. Hmm. Um, that's what I wanted to do, but I also liked horror. Hmm. So I did six samples. I did three horror samples and three comic book samples. And that's what I started putting out there. And whenever I had
0: time to do another sample, I, it was one of those two. So that just, was always my portfolio. Were you just submitting yourself to companies or did you have an agent yeah, I mean, or again, anything like that? I had a
2: rep for a very short period of time, but my opinion on, on reps now is that they're they're useful, especially if you're if you're you know making a living and doing freelance full time, they're useful. Mm. But in today's world, if you're going to work in like especially genre illustration, right, if you're going to work in high fantasy, science fiction, comics, the the art directors or editors that hire for that, they know who you are. You mm, know, there's right. the Internet, there's social media, there's right. Spectrum. You know they they know who you are. They're not going to go to a rep. They're going to go online, find you, mm-hmm. or keep a file on you. And then when something comes up, hire you. If you go to a rep, you're going to get hired by people who don't know art. You're going to get hired by craft to do a, a cheese ad, right? <laughs> you know something like that, yeah. right? And it's always ridiculous turnarounds. Right. I mean, if the all the stuff I did for my rep, it was like, here's the job on Friday. It needs to be done on Monday.
0: Right. Wow. And they,
2: and they pay for it.
0: The money's great though, right? For yeah. those kind of jobs. It's like they throw a ton of mon- money at you, but you suffer with the, the, uh, t- the deadline.
2: Yeah. You literally don't sleep for like 48 hours and then you get paid a, a ridiculous stack of cash, mm-hmm. but you know, is for art, you know, right, a ridiculous right. stack of cash. Um, so I did that for a little while, but it just wasn't my, th- I would, I wasn't enjoying it. Um, so, uh, so I didn't, I, I dropped my rep. They were a good rep and they treated me well. It just, you know, I didn't need it. I was all the work that I wanted to do. I was getting on my own. Mm, right. Um, and that was, yeah, just doing. Uh, I mean, back then it was mailers. Uh, I'm still a fan of mailers. Um, people, it's like everyone does the art drops online, which is also good. But I think it's good to find the address of the company you want to work for and actually send them hard copies. Oh, yeah, I agree. Because It stands out. It's yeah. different. You know, they're going to get a thousand emails and they'll get like one packet of uh, right. prints. Yeah, you know, so um, I've gotten more work that way than probably almost any
0: other way. And then that's conventions are great too. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Conventions are good. Those also take uh, a lot of energy, though. The con- yeah. That's another thing that gets harder for me. I, I kind of um, uh, backed off on the uh, uh, convention circuit as much. I just do Monster Palooza now, I think. Um, and since Decon moved to Anaheim, I stopped doing that because they used to be like 15 minutes away from me. So right. it's like, I don't want to drive all the way down there and that, but man, it takes a lot <laughs> out of you like standing there being, you know, upbeat and positive and talking to people for 12 hours at a time or whatever it is. It's like, woo. And it's not my nature at drive all. The same I mean, here. I, I, would,
2: I wouldn't say I'm introverted, but I'm definitely not extroverted. It's, yeah. it, it
0: wears me out going and doing a, a full day at a con, let alone a oh, whole yeah. weekend. Yeah. It's so exhausting. I mean, it's like, I really enjoy talking to fans. I enjoy being appreciated. And, um, uh, I, I like, I like that interaction. I like, that's one thing I like about, you know, the internet and, and doing these cons is that you get to meet people that are directly, uh, following your work and supporting you. And, uh, but, but it's like when, when you have to do that over and over and over and over for, you know, however many hours straight, it's just your feet hurt, you know, from standing. It's just like, it takes, it's, Physi- you know, it, it's hard for yeah. I, I I would call myself an introvert, so um, to to it just takes energy to yeah to that's be, that's be the extroverted. Thing. Yeah, it's like yeah, a, I like doing it, but it just yeah, it burns a lot of fuel. Right, <laughs> like you feel exhausted after one of those. You know, just yeah. one day, it's just like you just have to sit there and watch TV when you get home, just like uh, <laughs> veg out. Um, so okay, you you. you so you you was that like the first um, freelance kind of thing you did? Were the comics and the magic cards? I mean, are those two separate things, or was that all kind of happening at the same time? Um, comics definitely came later
2: because it's a really difficult it's a really insular in- industry. um it's mm. it's kind of tough to to crack into. Mm. Um gaming a little bit easier. I mean, Wizards of the Coast, they're always looking for good people, and if you show them good work, they'll they'll hire you. In comics, it's a little bit different. Even if they like your work, I mean, I I had one of the like lead editors at DC who loved my work, and it was just it, there was still a lot of political stuff involved where it was difficult for him to get me work. And also the fact that I'm a, a bit of a niche artist, so the right project has to right. come along. It's not like you can throw me on just any comic book. Like you know, Alex Ross, you could have that dude paint just about here's a comic book paint it and he would crush it right uh you know i'm a little bit more niche it's gonna have to be something moody or 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 at least you know maybe not dark but definitely there's got to be some atmosphere to it right uh, you know, yeah i would love to do a superman but i don't know that i would be anyone's top choice Ooh. to do a superman right right, right. yeah you know? um so things like that but uh so yeah that took a little bit longer and in fact the the first comic cover i ever did was for uh boom comics and it was for a zombie comic so that was kind of my door in it's like uh, oh yeah i do horror stuff i do zombie stuff here's a zombie comic awesome
0: yeah that's like uh, that would be my dream my dream uh j- comic to do a zombie and it was great comic. too yeah, yeah it, <laughs> was, it was super fun
2: uh, i had a ball doing it um but then guillermo was my big break mm. um i met him at uh monster palooza did you get it directly talked-
0: from him did he
2: get you the job kind of or more or less oh, that's um, amazing. he was talking to me actually this is a bit of a funny story. Um, he was talking to me at Comic-Con about doing uh, – so he's got the the animated series Troll Hunters, right? Mm-hmm. Well, the original novel he wrote with Daniel Krauss is much, much darker. Like wow. much – I mean I don't know if you ever read any of Daniel Krauss' stuff, but he's dark. I mean one of his books is about a, a gravedigger society basically. Oh, like a, wow no pun intended an, an underground grave digger society <laughs> That's cool, and, and it gets handed down from father to son and I it's, love that. it's yeah it's pretty dark yeah um so then they wrote it and that book was pretty dark and they and he actually wanted me to do the cover for it well i did this kind of corbin-esque uh cover for it that they, that uh, the publisher didn't end up using because they thought it was too dark mm-hmm. um, which i could have told him that was going to happen and it was pretty light for me <laughs> right and it was you know but, uh, but so they didn't end up using that, but that even came years and years later, but he was talking to me about doing that. Um, and then I get this email from him, uh, like about six months after, after Monster Palooza and mm-hmm. he says, Hey, you know, do you want to, uh, work on this project? And I thought it was one of my friends pranking me, <laughs> um, because the email was, uh, well, I won't say what the email was, uh, yeah, but right. the email I got, I, I, I looked up that email and it belonged to like some civil rights lawyer in San Francisco, um, but he must've let it lapse and then uh, Guillermo right. got it. And so I thought it was one of my friends pranking me because he didn't get back to me when I responded to his email. It took <laughs> him like two weeks. Right. So then he finally gets back to me and then it gets worked out that it is him. And, uh, he wanted to recommend me for doing the strain covers, uh, to dark horse, mm. who I'd been wanting to work for forever. They are like at the top of my list cause they do so many great genre books. They right. don't just do superhero stuff. Yeah, they yeah. do, Everything right, right, um, and so then they hired me to do that, and I started I think with issue four, and then did the next like thirty issues uh, wow. for them after that. Um, so that's kind of got me in, and then once I worked with Dark Horse, you know, kind of once you're in, then they start hiring you for a lot of different stuff. So then I got to do Aliens versus Predator, which which was cool. Mm. I got to do uh, a Predator. I got to do this uh, little uh, independent comic called uh, Deathhead. Which was really cool. It was all like plague doctors oh, and everything. Killer. So they got the like, you know the the, the bird face masks yeah, and all that stuff. So yeah. that was a lot of fun. Yeah. So they hired me for all, for a lot of stuff. I did a ton of work for for Dark Horse and still continue to do work for them. Wow. Uh, so yeah. So that was a lot of fun. And then uh, and and then eventually, you know, like everything else, your name just starts getting around. And I got introduced to the submissions editor at Marvel, and uh, then kind of got my foot in the door there and started doing work for them. Wow. So, you know, just kind of builds and builds and builds. Plus, I mean, you've been working in commercial art long enough that, you know, someone, someone moves from one company to another company. And the ideal scenario is that you keep working for the old company, but then they bring you over to the new one and right, right. You know, your, your career sort of builds that way. Right? Yeah. So, and it actually worked that way for me. So, wow. but uh, yeah, gaming was a little bit, de- I got into gaming pretty early. When I first started looking for work, I got my first gaming work about six months after I started showing my portfolio around. And that was on a, uh, now defunct game called Hecatome hmm. and that that was also for Wizards of the Coast, and it was kind of gonna be their like horror version of Magic the Gathering.
0: Oh that sounds uh,
2: cool, yeah, it was cool, but I think it was the way they made it, it was really expensive to produce like the cards were on like Mylar, and they were five sided so I think it was just really oh, expensive yeah. and it didn't do as well as they expected right. it to um, but hmm. it was a cool game to work on, and I did tons of work for that for a couple of years, so.
0: When you do the uh covers the the comic covers and stuff or even the the card stuff do you keep the original Yeah. And and yeah. and you get to sell it? Is that kind of part of the deal? You you can sell yeah, the original. Yeah. You can't you can't I imagine you can't do prints, can you or It depends.
2: Um uh with the gaming stuff it depends on the company you work for. Um they have different rights usages that you can do like i'm trying to think if you can i think you can do prints for magic the gathering oh. i think you can do prints for uh um what's the world of warcraft uh card game whatever that's called mm. they have a digital card game and i think you can do prints for that uh, you can do play mats um, which are like the the they're sort of like a big mouse pad right yeah that they, that they put the cards on and you can do those but you have to go through their their guy ah, i see uh, so uh and I'm not really sure what that's about. I don't know if they get a cut out of it, a cut of it or if it's just quality assurance type mm-hmm. of thing. Right. Um, so there's, there's that. So, you know, more and more, uh, when I first started doing it, you you pretty much didn't have any rights. It was classic work for hire stuff. It's like, you know, you own the original and that was it. Right. Um, and he, and even in a lot of those contracts, they even had right of first refusal on the original. So if they wanted to buy it, oh. that they could buy it. Right. Um, which was, which was actually cool. Yeah. Um, so there was that, um, but yeah, there's more and more. They're getting a little bit looser with the rights. And then in comics, it's it's a little bit like the wild west. I mean, technically, you're not really allowed to do prints, but as long as you're not selling them like on mass in like a web store, right? I've never heard of anyone getting in trouble for it. Right. So that's why you go to you know a comic convention and they're right. all selling
0: prints at their tables. Yeah, so. yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. I imagine it's it's they they use that in the uh, price negotiations, maybe. Like you get paid less, but you can have more rights or no, um, or maybe it's different for everybody. I,
2: I'm sure there's an element of that. Um, I think in, in a lot of time what they, what they've done is they've given you more rights in lieu of a raise. Right. So right, it's right. not so much that they negotiate a lower price, but when artists start saying, Hey, you know, you haven't upped our fees and you know, whatever, 10 years mm. they go, well, how about if we give you these rights or right, you know, whatever? Right. So, um, and it does, it helps a lot. I mean, the more, the more you can retain ownership of stuff as an oh, artist, yeah. especially in
0: today's world. I mean, you oh, can yeah. monetize just anything. You can, you could be making money for the next 20 years off of an image.
2: Yeah. Right you know.
0: It, um, yeah. I
2: mean, you could, you could video yourself doing, you know, uh, imagine the gathering painting and put that on Gumroad and right.
0: You know, make money
2: while you sleep. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Put it on a t-shirt, put it on a coffee mug, <laughs> whatever. Yep. Uh, yeah, exactly. But, yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's interesting. Like I said, I, I never, I don't, it's like, I have no idea what they pay. I, I have no idea about that whole scene is so foreign to me, <laughs> you know, but it's like, I, I'm personally just putting so much time into, you know, doing my own thing that, uh, you know, I'm a little bit reticent to even to, to do that commercial stuff. It's like it's once in a while things will come to me and it's cause someone's a fan of mine. Right. right, they want you to do the Chet Zar thing. Yeah, right, yeah, right, so which is sense. which is, you know, what you want kind of, you know. It's like right. that's 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 the goal, but it's, you know, yeah, it's it's hard to know what to charge for that sort of thing cuz the sure. fine, the fine art world is so weird and different and that's kind of, you know, I've been like this independent guy doing my own thing and doing gallery shows and it's just like, you know, it's a weird uh it's When well,
2: you of, actually had the guts to do I think what most commercial artists would like to do but it's just so hard to make that that leap especially when you have you know a family a mortgage you know all these things going on it's tough to just go okay i'm gonna not take that sure money and i'm gonna go over here and just paint what i want to paint and hope someone gives me money for it (laughs) man i mean it's one it's one of the things i've i've admired about your work the most is that you had the guts to go and
0: do that and say, I'm just, I'm going to be Chet Czar.
2: I'm not going to work for other people. So,
0: well, I, I did, it took me, I was working the day job in FX. I had a job that was, um, you know, I, I worked, let me see. I worked for 10 years at this one company and then I worked at Rick Baker's for five years and then I worked at Spectral Motion for five years, I think. So I had kind of like a regular job. And so for for the first, I think I started the fine art thing um, when I was working at Rick's. So I would be like, I was working the day job, 40 hours. It was cool too because at Rick's and and at Spectral even, it was like they let you leave at five or whatever quitting time was. Everyone just kind of left. It wasn't like these long hours that you always hear about. So, you know, when I would get, come home and I would paint and I would paint on the weekends and it was established my career on the web and all this stuff and get in any group shows I could get in. So I was like bringing paintings to work. And then at my my lunch break, I'd drive it down to the gallery, you know, and I'd rush, rush back. <laughs> and, and it was like that for like seven years I was doing that. So it's like I didn't just quit and then start, you know, it was like. Right. And then sure. I waited in, until uh, actually I got laid off from Spectral. And so I was like at this point where I was like, okay, do I go look for another job because I've never done this before? But but I you know I just had enough of a uh, like a career to where I could think about doing it, and uh, it was scary right. though. But I don't think I would have just quit on my own. I was I was kind of like waiting for an excuse, you know, waiting to get laid off. So it was, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, it was. I tell I tell the story all the time, so people are probably sick of hearing it. But the they told me like. And the the way they lay you off in effects, it's like, oh, at the end of the week you're, you know, you're we don't have any work for you. So they right. gave they gave me that, you know, you got a few more days and and then we're gonna lay you off. And then I was going, Okay, what am I gonna do here? And then right then I got an email from some guy who wanted to buy an original painting. And so that was like, Okay, that's the uh that's the sign I needed. You <laughs> Definitely. <know? laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah. And luckily my wife was like totally understanding about it. Cause we just bought a house and, you know, it was, it was kind of crazy, but, uh, I just, yeah, I, it's scary. Yeah. But if you're willing to, <clears throat> I don't know if you're willing to do whatever it takes, you can make it happen. It's just like i have working myself to death is the only downside because <laughs> it comes down <laughs> to how hard you want to work for it. And I was just determined to do it. So, um, but, uh, I don't know, it's just, have you shown and have you done a lot of gallery stuff? Because, you know, one thing that, that Jeff asked you, he's like, <clears throat> and, and I, that, that interview is probably, I don't know, I thought it was 2012 or something. It was a while back where he yeah, it was, you. Yeah, it was a bit back, yeah. And, and he was kind of asking you if you wanted to try your hand and find fi- – fine art <clears throat> and that question kind of surprised me because when I see see s- have seen you at the conventions I was all I always just assumed you were a fine artist like it didn't I didn't think illustrator your stuff to me just you know I it's fine art to me I just assumed that you were maybe showing around and at different galleries but apparently maybe not I don't know no
2: not a lot I'll, basically I I have done some shows um but <clears throat> mostly it's been when I've known the guy putting on the show, like, like Gary, Gary Diocampo, oh, you know, right. he'll, he'll curate something and he'll say, Hey, do you want to be in the show? And, and I'll do it because it's a cool thing to paint or, you know, whatever. But it's more just, that it's like, yeah, man, I like Coen brothers. I've always wanted to paint something out of one of their movies and it's a Coen brother theme show and it gives me an excuse to do it right. and it gives me a deadline to get it done. And, but I don't really expect to really, I mean, if the painting sells great, if not, right. I have fun doing a cool painting right. out of a movie that I love or, you know, whatever, uh, whatever it might be like, you know, the Hellboy 25th anniversary show. Right. Same thing. I just uh, did a piece for that. And, yeah. You I'm, know, that was
0: that was real fun. I'm going to finish mine as soon as we're done. <laughs> I got to go finish my piece for that. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah, <laughs> that's usually the way it ends up. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so, yeah, the gallery thing. I don't know. It's just my wife already does that. So I kind of get to live that world uh, sort okay. of vicariously through her. But also I always tell people it's like, man, I'm a I'm a dyed-in-the-wool illustrator. Even if I wasn't an illustrator, I'd still be painting pop culture stuff. I just Mm -hmm. I love, you know, pop culture. I love comic books. I love movies. I love all that stuff. And and that's what I want to paint. So even if I wasn't getting paid to do it, I'd probably still be painting, you know, Wolverine and Frankenstein and all that stuff because it's it's what I like doing. I'm not the most I guess creative for lack of a better term. I'm not the most, the most like, like your stuff, you always know it's Chet Czar and it's got a real original look and you've got an original vision. I'm not so much. Um, I don't know really what you would call what I do, but it's like, I, I kind of come up with maybe interesting takes on things that other people have come up with, mm. but I'm not real good at coming up with the uh, original ideas all on my own. Right. Uh, so it's just not the way my brain works, but I'll look at what someone else does and goes. Oh man, it'd be cool! if Someone did it this way, and so right. then I go and do it that way. That's
0: that's kind of like an illustrator mindset, though, don't you think? It's right. a, sort Absolutely. of like. And I I, t- I think it was I think in the last podcast I talked about this. Um, when I first sat down to paint, I was in makeup effects, and I had been doing it right out of high school. So like eighty six, I think I started. I was you know in in makeup effects, so and and that was that's a commercial art job. Everything is. Right. You know, we need a werewolf. We need a guy, cut off head guy, and we want it to, the head to, you know, be hanging off to one side. And, all, you know, it's like you, there's a certain amount of input you start with. And sure. so when I sat down to do my first painting, when I was like, okay, I'm going to be a painter, I just completely drew a blank because it, it was like, <laughs> I just didn't. I didn't have anyone telling me, okay, here's your starting point. And it was like, right. you could do anything. And it was like, Ugh. and it was freaky, <laughs> man. It scared me. Um, but I don't know. I think that the, I, I felt like I was institutionalized in a way because I was so used to getting some kind of starting point point. and right. it, it forced me to, you know, the first few years I was floundering around. I didn't know what I wanted to do. So I was trying different things. And then I came upon this kind of monster portrait thing and it got, and it got a really strong response. This is like 2000, you know, early 2000s. And so I was like, okay, that was fun. People are digging it. I'm going to keep going with this. And, uh, and then that was like the starting point in a way, you know, that was the, that was, that was the, uh, the, what the director told me to do. Okay. I want a monster portrait and, and, you know, in the back of my mind. And so from that, I just, continue to develop it. So, you know, I think it's, <clears throat> it's one of those things that, you know, I think every art, every artist, uh, if they, if they dig deep enough, they can find that, um, personal creativity. Uh, right. I, I mean, I see your, your stuff to me is like pff, just crazy good to me. It's like, oh, I want to, I wish I could paint like him, you know? <laughs> well, so, <I> appreciate that. <laughs> so, uh, uh, yeah, I, I just I, I would love to see, you know, if, if you just, you know, if you were able to just do whatever you, you had, if you had, you have to have time for that, though. Sure. You have to have time to spend and develop it, you know, and so it's it's
2: I, I think I'd still probably wind up in that same range. Like I would almost I mean, I'm nowhere near the genius that Tarantino is, but I think that my imagination works along the same lines right. as he does.
0: Yeah, yeah. where
2: It's like he takes something that other people have done and then sort of makes it in his vision right and i think that's right. just the way that my creativity bends right. whereas you're more like del toro where he's like sculpting stuff i mean he does both
0: really well but right right oh wait you are cut off or del toro oh wait are you there are you there yeah yeah okay, okay. put sh- that
2: on us a little bit that Can was, you hear me? Yeah, 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 we yeah. yeah. <laughs> we had so, oh, yeah, oh, To oh, me, his his best stuff is the stuff that's yeah that's pure him that you that it's one hundred percent right. Del Toro. Even though you know his Hellboy stuff is great and you know Pacific Rim cool, but to me his best stuff is is when it's you know coming out of purely his mind. Yeah, and you're right. very much the same way. Your strongest stuff is the stuff that's like oh that's unquestionably you know Chet Zar. Oh, thanks. Um, okay, appreciate. Um, it. Whereas me, yeah, I think if I have a starting point, like you mentioned. My best kind of art direction is the stuff where, yeah, there's a brief, but they give me room to make it my own. Mm -hmm. I don't like either end of the spectrum. I don't want complete freedom. Right. And I also don't want uh, complete control either. Right, right. I want that middle spot.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. That's interesting. Do you use – you know, I I love that. I I don't know if you've done more than one, but I know there's that one uh, Carl Kolshak Night Stalker. Oh yeah, yeah. Have you done more than one, or is it just that one? I did. I know the one you're talking about because it's it's the one everybody, <laughs> everybody knows. That. Uh,
2: but I did. I think three of them. Oh yeah, maybe four. Oh wow, definitely three. I'm trying to think. There might I might have done four, but definitely three. So I did that one, and that's the one that was the adaptation uh, adaptation of uh, the Night Strangler, right? Uh, which was the one set in Seattle. Mm-hmm. Uh, the second TV movie, I think. And right. then I did another one that was uh, Kolchak investigating uh, Edgar Allan Poe themed murders, and so there was a bunch of Poe imagery in it. You know, there was right. the cat with the noose around its neck. I don't think I've seen that. I think one. I. It's. I, I was pretty proud wow. of that one. It's, the, it's not as strong as the Night Strangler one. The Night Strangler one, I still think is it's one of my. Uh, me personally, it's one of my probably five favorite pieces I've ever done. Wow, um, yeah, I, I, I like that piece a lot. Yeah, it's
0: incredible. What what were those? Were those four something or? Those were all graphic novels. I'm
2: I'm pretty sure. So there's a a company, Moonstone. I don't even know if they – I think they still have the license. Uh, But they were doing adaptations and also original Kolchak stories. And then they actually had the rights to the likeness and everything. So I was doing covers for some graphic novels for them. Um, And then another one was a crossover that was uh, – Kevin Anderson has a character called – I can't remember what the character's name is, but he's a zombie hard-boiled detective. Oh, cool. And, uh, and they did a crossover. And so I did a cover for that one as well. So I know I did those three for sure. It seems like there might've been another one as well, but right. those three for sure. But yeah, those are yeah, so great. And, 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 <laughs> I was yeah. The, the, the Night Strangler one was that was that was the first one I got to do, and I was just so stoked to be doing a Kolchak piece. That, yeah,
0: that's. What I was going to ask you. I'm not. I don't know what your age is, but did you grow up with? Because I grew up with that show. I'm old enough to where it's like it was on TV when I watched it, like for the first time, like in the 70s. I didn't catch it first run. I'm
2: not. I'm not quite old enough for that because I think the TV series ran what like 73 to 75, something like that. Yeah, yeah, somewhere around yeah, there. Yep. I was born in 74, but I, I definitely caught it on TV. I mean, it was on like one of the i don't know. Right. USA or something like that when right. i was a kid they, they played it on. I so. love that show. It's so great. <laughs> oh, it's awesome. I mean the TV movies were yeah. beyond right. Awesome. Right. The, the the TV series was good but the but the TV movies were just insanely right. good. I mean Richard Matheson wrote those. So, I, I mean, know. That's, that's I know. To know right there.
0: I know exactly. It's like Oh, why can't they do it again? Because <laughs> it's <laughs> like he horrible. I know, I know. I can't even. I, I I know it's bad, so I know it exists, but I can't bring myself to watch it because I know it's going to be so disappointing. But that character is—it's such a great character. It's you know, yeah. it's it's. I I suppose. I mean, I would. Lo- wouldn't you love to see a uh, uh, a period piece like it done again, but oh, in, yeah. the, in the seventies? Oh,
3: absolutely! It would be so
0: great, and just just get the right actor and the and the and the right writers, and that would be. It would be a fucking hit. I don't understand these people. They don't well because they think everybody <laughs> needs to be cool, and Kolchak is absolutely not <laughs> yeah, cool. Totally. And they think they need to make all the leading men these cool guys, right? It's right? Like, no. It's true. It's true. It's because it's because you know the, the people at the top calling the shots. A lot of them are not fans. That's what it is. You know, I think so. Well, they're
2: they're fans. They're fans of making money. The (laughs) the
0: broadest appeal they can. They want to be able to sell the action
2: figures and the t-shirts and
0: everything else. But which
2: again, that's their job. So I can't blame them. I know.
0: I know. I've come to that realization. When I first left the film industry, I was so bitter about it and just so like disgusted with all of the commercialism and the, you know, the. I remember a meeting working on planet of the apes when they had like this big entourage of executives coming in and they were talking (laughs) about the happy meal toys they were going to make and stuff. And it was like, uh, but, but you know, having grown up a little bit and gotten some perspective, it's like, you know, this is these guys jobs. This is what they do. They're not artists. They're business people and they know how to make money. And, 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 uh, I, uh, you know, their ass is on the line if the thing doesn't make money because, yeah. you know, at those high levels, they're respond You know, a lot of those people are responsible for a ton of money and they're going to get fired if they don't make it back. So I, I get it.
2: It's just. And they're also, I mean, they're responsible
0: for employing a ton of us, too. Exa- right, right. Yeah, so, so it's, you know, you, you get a, you know, you have to kind of, it's more of an adult perspective, I suppose. You, you know. I do like when they walk the line a little
2: bit better, though. I mean, some mm-hmm. of the stuff is just such crass commercialism where that's all it is and there's no soul to it oh yeah yeah yeah
0: yeah Yeah, and and there's there's actually even some um great business-minded non-artistic people that are smart enough to to let the artist do their job and develop it because they know if if they get the right people they're gonna have something great you know yeah rather than try and control everything and um make, I I got if I could find when I was, I worked on uh fantastic Four the first movie with, uh, Michael Chiklis and all that. Oh, okay. Not, yeah. Not
2: the one, not the one from back in the nineties. No no, 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 uh, like
0: <laughs> no, no,
3: <Korman
2: one.
0: laughs> no, not that one. But, uh, 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 I remember the notes I got cause I sculpted the thing, which it was not a, I was not really, I I'm not happy with that design. I wanted to make it look like the thing from the comic right. with the huge jaw. And I, I actually got to sculpted for sideshow collectibles at, you know, a few years after the movie oh, and I cool. was able to make it exactly like the comic and it came out really good. But, um, this one I was being, you know, heavily art directed to tone everything down, but they, sure. they gave me a list of notes that would make your uh, skin crawl. If you saw it, it was like, <laughs> don't, it was like, I, I did my version of it and they, and their feedback was, you know, make it look cool to nine year old boys. And, uh, make it look less like a mummy it was another thing it was just these <laughs> stupid just just classic you know notes from uh executives it was just I kept it because it was so funny and ridiculous, and I don't know where it is now, but man, if I ever find that thing, I'm going to post it on the internet. (laughs) It's funny. This will make you laugh. When I was in high school, um,
2: I was really into, I mean, I'm still really into movies, always have been into movies, but when Mm. I was in high school, I thought that was a direction I might want to go was doing practical effects for movies. I was really into it. I watched like every making of, I bought all the books, all the behind the scenes, everything. Wow. And you know, when you're a senior, uh, I can't even remember what class it was, but you know, they, they have you do like a senior a project where you write a paper about what you want to do for a living mm. and you're supposed to call up like you know three professionals and you probably get these emails right from yeah, yeah. kids writing these papers well yeah. you know I, I did one and i wanted to do practical effects or at the time it was just special effects because it was 93 and i think right. you know there'd been a couple of, you know terminator 2 jurassic park that had digital stuff in it but right so i started calling around to these places and talking to these guys and every single one i was ta- i talked to they were like dude, you don't want to go into this industry. And in five years, I'm not going to have a job. You know, all this stuff just going on and on. I was like, oh, dude, this is depressing. So I still wrote the paper and I still dug it. But that was actually when I started going more in the direction of wanting to do, I mean, I want to do comics as well, but those are kind of my two things. And right. after I talked to all those guys and then I went to comic con and all the comic artists were the other way around. Mm. They were like, Oh man, it's great. It's a yeah, lot wow. of work, but it's super fun. It's a great industry. So right. then I started going more in that, that direction. But, uh, that's yeah, funny. yeah. Every effects guy I talked to man, they were just like, no man, you don't <laughs> want to do this job. I mean, they're like, "Though the work is cool, but the work's not going to be there in five. Like they all were sure that it was going to be complete digital effects within, Oh yeah, five or ten years and they weren't necessarily wrong it's nice that it's kind of swinging back the other way a little bit i think 3d printing i think has had a huge Mm -hmm. impact on more practical effects but also just directors that know
0: what they're doing like guillermo and guys like that that know how to combine them right right Yeah, yeah yeah again we just talked about i think it was the last episode we had this whole discussion about this very topic and uh yeah. When Jurassic Park came around, I remember everyone at the, at the shops, it was just like, everyone was just had this totally, everyone was just shaking their heads like, Oh no. But yep. y- you know, the eighties were kind of the heyday for practical effects. And so, oh, yeah. you know, that's, that's kind of what I meant also by the, you know, it going downhill. I got in like at the tail end of it, like the blob right. was, you know, <clears throat> the thing had happened and, um, uh, what other big effects movies there's oh there was like the howling that was a little earlier the thing i'm i'm blanking on what the other one well were. you had
2: you had movies like pumpkin head that were that were oh, basically right. it's like an, an effects demo reel basically right right, <laughs> it, <came> right down <laughs> to it. it was like we're, we're creature effects makers and we want to make a movie and so we're right making right right, Pumpkinhead, yeah. right? So, yeah.
0: but but that i mean in the 80s the the effects guys were like the, the money it was just a different scene you know they were kind of rock stars and there was money and there was time and and it just as soon as digital came in everything just started slowly drying up and um yeah it was you you definitely you made the right choice (laughs) by not getting into it (laughs) although you know i i i feel like um you know in one way i wish i would have started my fine art career when i was you know 19 20 years old when i was working in effects but it was pretty it, it, that was my uh you know my Watts atelier was you know sure. 20 years doing life cat it was so much of it was like a, a you know a, a good effects shop is like uh is like an atelier where it's like there's cat body casts all over and you, you know, you're working directly sculpting on faces and you're doing the designs and you're doing molds and casting. It's very much like traditional fine art. From
2: what I understand, the old shops were a lot like, uh, like apprenticeships, basically like the old school, like uh, like Renaissance, Renaissance apprenticeships. Mm -hmm. Cause there wasn't really any place for you to go and learn how to do this. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. You had to
0: learn it on the job. Yeah. I know Uh, a lot of the kind of the, the big guys, um, that ended up being big names studied under, you know, Rick Baker studied under Dick Smith and, and uh, Rob Bottin studied under Rick and yeah, because there was nowhere to learn it. So yeah, it's interesting. It's a trip. It was cool though. It was, it was, it was a, it's a good job. It's fun. It's cool to have all these different, back then you would learn everything like molding and casting and painting and sculpting. So that was kind of cool, you know, but uh, it just, it became more and more like every shop Everyone was scrounging for the, the few jobs that were there and so everyone was under undercutting each other and oh we could do it for ha- in half the time. So deadlines got shorter and quality kept lowering, you know, just the way basically the way everything is <laughs> nowadays. Well- When it just becomes about survival, a lot of the fun gets taken out of it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So that's funny, though, that that, that all those guys, it's just that's that's the effects guy. The the typical effects makeup effects guy is just constantly bitching about the (laughs) effects industry. That's all we did was complain about how fucked up everything was. It's just funny that they all they all gave you that advice. I can totally see it right now.
2: Well, I, I got to meet uh, uh, Adam. I'm, I'm I'm acquaintance with Adam Jones. Oh, cool. And, and you know, I know you 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 knew him and worked. You even worked with him for a little while, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Stuff. Yeah. But he was saying the same thing. He was like, you know, he was working on Jurassic Park, and he was like yeah, I'm just going to go off and, you know, start my band. We're going to, you know, tour with the band. And I was like, dude, if there's anything that's worse than working in effect, it's music. And
0: of course, you know, he ends up going on to do what he did. But. I know. That's kind of amazing. That's that's the story that I, I always hear is that he, he, you know, everybody was telling him, don't do it. Don't quit this job. Don't do it. <laughs> and he went off and became like a mega superstar. That's pretty amazing. <laughs> How do you know, Adam?
2: Uh, St. Monsterpalooza again. Oh, really? Yeah. He and, uh, uh um, his, his wife, Corinne, came by, uh, uh, I don't, I don't think they were married yet, but they came by back when it was in, uh, in Burbank
0: oh, right. in the early years.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, they came by and, and, you know, my work has a, a bit of a Phil Hale vibe. I mean, he's obviously a big oh, yeah. influence to me He's amazing. and at that time it really did. I mean, uh, mm. my stuff looked a lot like his only, you know, not near as good, but mm-hmm. you know, the, the, the aesthetic was there and, He's friends with Phil, and he came oh, over right, and we started right. talking about that. and And at first, I didn't know who he was, and then when he told me who he was, I was like, "Ah!" It's funny <laughs> because, I mean, I like Tool's music, but I wouldn't say I'm a, a fan necessarily. Right. I mean, I, I like it, but it's it's not like you know one of the bands I necessarily had their all their albums or anything. But right. I'm a big fan of the videos. Right, right. I mean, that's actually where i know him more from yeah right <laughs> yeah yeah the videos and i had the dvds with the videos on them and everything so when the, that actually i connected with him more on that level even though you know obviously i know the music and i right. like it right, but the right videos were actually much more my jam so right that's so cool And we started talking about you know the brothers quay and all right. that I started yep. kind of connecting more on
0: that level oh cool yeah that's uh, cool uh so if, what's phil hale doing do you know phil hale you know, I I definitely don't know him. I've met him. I met him through Adam once, actually. I,
2: I actually was supposed to go up and hang out with him and Adam once. We were going to paint together, but oh, I was wow. under a deadline. And I'm and i I'm still bummed to this day that I didn't just go ahead and tell my art director. It's like, look, you're going to get this paint a couple <laughs> days late. You know, I was already pulling an all-nighter to get that done. Right. Uh, but uh, I never actually met him through Adam, but the offer's been there a couple times. But I met him at Comic-Con twice. Um, and one time he actually gave me a really nice portfolio review, which from what other people I've talked to is kind of unheard of. He doesn't usually do that. So oh, it was nice wow. that he did. Yeah. Uh, and even gave me a bit of a hard time cause again, my stuff was, you know, so obviously influenced by his <laughs> at the time. Um, but he was super nice to me and really, really cool guy. And, mm. you know, we, we sort of did the walk and talk for a little while, oh, that's cool. you know, walk around the convention. So yeah, he's really cool. I had nothing but a good interaction with him. So
0: yeah, he was super cool to me, too. I mean, I just kind of said hi to him and, at Adam's place. But um, he's a trip, like career-wise, because he yeah. did all this comic stuff. He's, like, famous for all these comics. But he's 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 been able to do the comics fine art thing, like maybe in equal measure. I'm not sure he did that. He's hitting actually kind of
2: all three points. I mean, he's doing comics, and then he's doing the kind of, you know, straight up fine art gallery scene where he's painting whatever he wants right. and then puts it on a gallery show. But then he's also doing the portrait commission thing. Right, right. So he kind of kind of is doing, you know, he's he's such a good painter. Ah, it's like the guy can do I, uh, whatever he
1: wants. Drives me nuts. But was,
2: from what I understand, he also like builds award winning motorcycles and really plays guitar and has a band. And <laughs> now he's making movies with his son. It's really? like, yeah, the guy's like some kind of savant or something. I don't know. He's he. I think he's just again he's like you he has this 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 creative wheels that just i mean from the outside looking looking at it you guys just seem to have these creative wheels that are just always burning i'm sure Uh, that doesn't feel like that way to you
0: (laughs) (laughs) i see i mean i feel that way when i look at him but i don't feel that way about myself i mean his stuff like his he did those maybe uh, i forget where he was showing at but it it was uh, the last gallery show i'm aware of that he did but they're like they're so weird, these paintings, but they're so amazing. Yeah. They're like scenes of like a van and like these, like a guy will be pulling a guy and then half of him will be kind of painted out and then, yeah. or like shifted over to the side. They're so weird. And I'm like,
2: they're like these weird, like sort of semi erotic car crash scenes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah they're really strange. <laughs> I'm just cool. like, I, mean, I'm, I dig them. Yeah. They're weird.
0: I'm just, I'm so envious. Like to me, I'm so envious that he can go there and go so deep and so weird Because I feel like I just I I don't I don't know how to get there. You know, my stuff's still pretty it's kind of straightforward. You know what I mean? Like his stuff is I don't know, I feel like it is. Yeah, I think you're
2: seeing it from inside your own head a little (laughs)
0: much. I just (laughs) I I don't see anyone else doing stuff that looks (laughs)
2: like yours. And usually if someone's out there doing someone something, if if it can be mimicked, someone's gonna mimic it. And I don't see anyone mimicking you successfully. Oh, so there's something going on inside your brain that isn't easy to capture. Uh, I appreciate like, that. Like Frizetta, there's people out there as good as Frizetta was. There's people or out Giger there that mimic too. Them. You know, yeah, Geiger. There's people that can that can mimic that. But yeah, I don't see anybody out there successfully on any level mimicking what you do. Oh, thanks. so there's some there's some way that you see the world that's different than the average. Whether you've cultivated that or it's natural. You know, I can't say probably a little bit of
0: both. Yeah, probably. Yeah,
2: it's definitely, if, if it could be copied, someone would be copying it by
0: now. Yeah. So, <laughs> Well, that's cool. I appreciate that. Um, yeah, I just, I, 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 as far as Phil Hale goes, I... I mean, I don't know. You don't. He seems like a recluse or something. Unless you, he, I mean, no, what's he, he doing?
2: Agree that that's that's the perception I get is he's a recluse. Yeah, I'm not really entirely sure how he makes his money. I want to
0: I want to know what he's doing. You know, I want to keep yeah. tabs on him because he's so amazing. And it's just,
2: he's been posting more on his Instagram lately. Oh, really? Uh, so I mean, he is putting stuff out there, but I think he's one of those guys that's just he wakes up one day and decides he wants to do something else. And that might be sticking butter knives in the (laughs) drywall of his studio and hanging yarn off of it. (laughs) But I just think he has a lot of different interests. And he kind of is one of those guys that just doesn't, or again, from the outside and looking in, it looks like he doesn't question. He just walks up. He goes, I want to do this today. And so he goes and builds a motorcycle. I want to do this today. And he goes and plays with his band. And it's like, and he's just, I mean, obviously he's um, maybe not obviously, but again, from my point of view, he's, clearly a genius intellect
0: Right? yeah yeah i think and so just too.
2: picks things up whatever he has an interest in he picks it up and he probably doesn't realize how most people can't do that right like right. most people can't just go oh i'm gonna go and learn how to play the guitar and yeah, six or- months later they're playing the <laughs> guitar that's you know? like or build a motorcycle or whatever like, it is yeah yeah exactly you know it's it's just too many weird different things and uh but uh but yeah i don't, I don't know i mean i know for a that he twice he did the uh the illustrations for whichever Dark Tower book it was that that he did. Right. And, I, I, and I'm pretty sure that Donald Grant, again, the story I've heard is that Donald Grant, who did those books, paid him like a 3% royalty on them. Wow. And it's a 3% royalty on a Stephen King book. Oh, my God. That's amazing. And so, yeah, it's because they couldn't really afford to pay him that much, and so they illustrated the whole book. So each one of those guys that did those books, they got a 3% royalty, and oh, that must uh, be both so times much he basically just, <laughs> Yeah. Right. Well, again, from what I heard when he did the first one, he basically took like three years off, like didn't do hardly any work. Wow. And that's when he made that jump from doing that, like the 80s Phil Hale stuff that was really, really good to the 90s Phil Hale stuff that was like transcendent. Right. Like, right. It was just ridiculously awesome. Yeah. Right? And yeah. He broke away from doing the Rick Barry stuff, which, again, Rick stuff is awesome. but yep. You know, Phil stuff was a little bit derivative in the mm-hmm. 80s. But then in the 90s, he comes out and he's Phil Hale. Right, right. And that's what he did for that three years. He just kind of got out of uh, Rick's shadow. And again, I don't know how much this is true. This is just the stories I've heard Mm -hmm. and kind of became what we now think of as being Phil Hale, which then he reinvented himself again. Right. Late on when he got out of doing commercial work. But uh, but yeah, that, that was kind of the story heard. And that's when he made that leap was they reprint republished the book and he did all new illustrations oh for my it. Oh god. <laughs> Basically did it all over again took another 3 years and just reinvented himself again so Man,
0: that's something like that is such a, a lucky break. Although he, you know, they, they wouldn't they wouldn't do that for just any illustrator though. You know,
2: that's Well, that's another weird thing. Uh, from what I understand is Rick's studio was like upstairs from Donald Grant Oh, wow. So They knew him. They were friends with him. Uh, Donald Grant published Double Memory, the first book that they did that was like a collection of both their work back in the late 80s, early 90s, -hmm. whenever it was. Um, So, yeah, Donald Grant was like – they were friends with him. They were like right there. So that's why they were – Rick and Phil Hill both did you know illustrations for those dark tower books again and all this stuff is just purely yeah, you know, right. art, art gossip right, right? <laughs> yeah.
0: but that, that those are the stories that
2: i've heard which i'm sure are at least partially true that's
0: so cool that's a trip yeah I'm just, i just i don't know i don't you know i don't like i said i don't have access to any of these people that would know these stories so he seems just like this mystery to me you know right
2: right <laughs> and like, and he is i mean the guy is i mean he's just he's he's a he's definitely a unique individual
0: yeah yeah <clears throat> He does he live in like the UK or something? He's English, yes, isn't he? Yes, somewhere. I think I think London maybe. Okay. Straight up London. But mm. uh, but definitely over in England. Yeah, for sure. Wow. Um okay, so what what do you, where do you think this I mean, we talk about this a lot. The Dark Art Society podcast, the whole idea behind it was like we're going to try and uh we we feel that this this uh dark art movement is legit. It's been happening, you know. Francis Bacon, it's Hieronymus Bosch, uh, sure, um, you know, all the, all the I'm blanking right now, but it's been going yeah, on, Floyd, all those guys. Yeah. 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 It's been going on for, you know, since painting has been happening. So, um, you know, it's like, it's, it's, it's a legit art movement, but it gets marginalized. People don't take it seriously. At least, you know, that's kind of the perception, uh, it's less like that nowadays, I think. But right. you know, it started with uh, this guy made this documentary about me. This guy Mike Carell, and we were we were noticing that there's this huge amount of people in, that are into this kind of artwork, but it's not being really shown anywhere at any big galleries, or it's not considered art or whatever. But there, but it has like the this uh, this popular appeal. There, it is really a big. Sure thing, you know, underground, this kind of underground thing. So the idea with the podcast was, okay, let's try and explain to people why it's valid. And, um, and just kind of promote it. And, you know, just Yeah, just kind of try and educate people about it, promote it. And so the idea is, interviewing these artists that do this kind of work and people will you know start to understand it so i'm just curious what your take from your perspective i mean i've got my own perspective on why i'm into it and a lot of a lot of artists um i've interviewed it their their fascination with dark stuff does deal with like trauma or stuff they went through when they were kids and uh some people but some people just didn't have that childhood and and they're just into it. So I'm just curious where, where you think it fits in your life. Like why, why monsters to you? You know,
2: it's, it's a tough one to answer for sure. Cause I'm not, it's, I don't remember ever not liking it. I mean, (laughs) I know I got into that stuff like probably way younger than I should have. (laughs) Um, part of it was because my, my dad and his sister were both very, um, uh, I don't want to say that they humored me because they were into it as well, but they weren't restrictive. Like they weren't worried about mm. what I might see. So if my dad went and saw, you know, the thing, you know, and I'm whatever nine years old, <laughs> yeah, right. he, he would take me to go see the thing. Right. Yeah, no problem with it. Right? <laughs> I mean, it was it was no big deal. Yeah, my dad make, was the my, same way. <laughs> yeah. My aunt took me to see Naked Lunch. Wow. You know, when I was, you know, whatever that movie yeah, came Yeah. Up. Yeah. Yeah. And that was my first exposure to like art house films and how weird stuff could really get because that's about as weird <laughs> as, as weird
0: as it gets. You know, that's like
2: scanners weird, right? right? I mean, right. that's 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 strange stuff.
0: Yeah.
2: Um. And I love it. I still love that movie to the to this day. I think it's awesome. Yeah. It's weird, yeah. but it's awesome. Yeah. So I I think that was a lot of it. It's just I had an interest in it, and then I had a couple of adults who were largely responsible for, you know, who I became. Not making it taboo, not making it weird. I think a lot of people are into that stuff when they're kids, but then it becomes taboo and weird. And that's how a lot of people see the art too. They think it's about being taboo and weird. And it's, it's not, it's just, it's a visual aesthetic. It's a, it's a narrative that we enjoy and pursue. Um, But I think a lot of it, I mean, as much as I don't want to pin it to this, the, the, the art has become more acceptable as sort of a result of other aspects that are tied to it being more mainstream like tattoos exactly
0: yeah that's what i was gonna you say yeah
2: when we were kids you know if someone had a face tattoo they oh were my probably god. an ex-con yeah right yeah, you know
0: yeah and tattoo parlors were like super seedy and you know
2: yeah, it, it was weird right you were
0: you were a sailor or right? a dangerous person <laughs> if you had a, if you had a
2: tattoo that was vis- visible right 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 uh, but also even stuff like uh god what's what's the um what's the the store that's in a lot of the malls um hot topic Hot topic. Yeah. Stuff like that. You right. know, it's, it's, it's more that aesthetic is more mainstream and more acceptable. Um, but even, even, even horror films, I mean, you know, again, when we were kids, like, you know, the, yeah, they made a lot of money, but it was kind of almost like pornography. It made right. money and, but no one admitted watching it. Right? Right, right. But now, you know, you know, they remake Friday the 13th and it's everywhere. Right. You know, it's they're They're advertising it, you know, during daytime television. Right. You right. Know, things like that. So, just that's become more mainstream. And I think as a result of that, the the art has piggybacked on it and become much more acceptable, much more mainstream. You know, guys will wear, you know, a, a shirt with, you know, the Jason mask on it to work. Right. Know, like Friday, <laughs> you know, it's like no one really bats an eye anymore. And I think that's great. I don't think it should be taboo. By making it taboo, that's what makes it dangerous. Right, right. It's like it's not the artwork that's dangerous; it's people's perception of it and right. making. It, it's like the art doesn't make it weird. You make it weird. Yeah,
0: exactly. You know? <laughs> and
2: we're not, you know, people who do the artwork. We're not weirdos. We just like that aesthetic. We like that narrative. And yeah, you're right. Sometimes it's a conduit to help uh, do personal therapy for you know childhood trauma. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, that wasn't the case with me, but I but I have a lot of friends that, that is the case. When that's that right. was just their way of of making sense of the world of, of venting and showing that as bad as my childhood was,
0: there's, there's this worst thing out there and you I'm know, in control and, and of even it. Even if it's not real. Right. Exactly. And I'm going to exactly. make it and I'm going to be the one in control of the, the really bad thing. You know what I mean? Right.
2: And to that, I do have that. It's like, it, it made sense to me as a kid. It wasn't gray. You know, right, you, read, right. you watch horror movies. It's very clear who the bad guy is, right. and who the good guy is. And it's, it's soothing. You know, it's, it's relaxing to know that, you know, it's not so challenging as you go and watch you know, some political drama about the Middle East and all of a sudden you're like, oh, these people that have been demonized in our media and they're just people, right. maybe people that I don't agree with, but they're just people right. too. Right, right, yeah. Like, and it, 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 it,
0: it makes it hard. It right. makes life hard. Yeah. More
2: movies don't make life hard. That's fun. Life That's
0: easy. That's so interesting that you say soothing because – That's like, that's how I feel too. It's so weird, you know, to be soothed by something like that. Um, It is soothing though. It feels like.
2: You know whose side you're supposed to be on. There's no question. Right. It's like. World War Two, right? right? It's like you know, you look at it on the surface, it's like you know which side you're. So there's no question. You know, you know who the bad guys are and who the good guys are. You know, the more you look into it, maybe that line gets right, a little right. blurry, but right. it is one historical moment where you're like, okay, yeah, those are the good guys, those are right. the bad guys.
0: I think though, yeah. even if even if you're um even if you don't have like a history of childhood trauma, I think you know life is scary. Yeah. Anyway, especially now. I mean, it just gets more and weirder and chaotic and scarier. And just the the idea of being alive and not knowing when you're going to die and knowing that it's coming for everybody that you know and yourself. I mean, that's all terrifying shit, really, when you think about it. So in the sense, in the way that I think that that is it's built into being a human, I think that there's an aspect, you know, may I, I, I don't know if it's maybe not. Maybe not, but it seems like since we're all kind, of, we all have that fear. It's part of being a human. It seems like we would all, all have that capacity for appreciation for dark stuff because a lot of a lot of it really is related to death. I think you know, and the fear sure. of death, and uh, yeah, but the fear of sickness or all all the things that are possible in the world, you know. Sure, but so, I
1: think, uh,
2: and that's another reason why I think maybe it's become a little bit more mainstream now as well because people aren't confronted by it every day. Whereas if you go back to our, maybe not so much our parents, but our grandparents and their parents, Death was a regular part of mm-hmm. life. You you didn't need to have that fiction thrown right, in your face as right, well. Right,
0: that's true. You know, yeah, I, that's a good so point.
2: Life was horrible. <laughs> right but now, life
0: is mostly pretty right. good. Yeah,
2: right. Like, historically speaking, yeah, you know, absolutely. You're not you're not going to get polio or die mm-hmm. of typhoid or you know anything like that. You know, you're not going to get scarlet fever. Right. You know, th- these are things that were very real things like 50 years ago. Right. Right. That's so and, interesting. Yeah, I never thought
0: about that. Uh, they were they were like you know they were closer to. The real shit, so, right? So they didn't need the, the you know they didn't need they didn't need to process the stuff because they were dealing with it really, right? You know it's interesting, and also
2: even the regular stories back then were pretty dark to start with. Like you, you read even even Peter Pan, like the original mm-hmm. stories, man, they're not right. I mean, yeah, <laughs> you know kids can wrap their brain around them, but they're kind of scary. Yeah, right. You know, and you go back to your know, Grimm's fairy tales, like those, Some of those are straight up dark. I mean, <laughs> yeah. they're. They're nasty, but they're not what you would consider horror or dark art. Right. But, you know, so, yeah. But, yeah, yeah. yeah I don't know. It, to people, to me, the stuff that people put weight on seems weird when there's lots of real things in real life that need to be dealt with and mm-hmm. they're worried about whether their kids are playing, you know, a video game or watching a horror movie.
0: Right, right. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know, the stuff, the, the real dangerous stuff is always, you know, so much deeper. Then the, you know, it's, we all played, watched horror movies and played horrible video games of people (laughs) blowing each other's faces apart. And, and, you know, every, all my friends, kids or uh, uh, my kids, friends, they all did that stuff. It's like, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous yeah. to blame it on that. You know, now, if I mean, I'm mean,
2: i not going to say it doesn't play a role, but I think the people that fall that become influenced by that would have just would just be influenced by something else. Right. It's yeah. it's, like, it's not that that's just the form that it took. Exactly. It would have taken another form if it wasn't that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's like people that, you know, go crazy, go crazy and kill people in the name of God or the Bible. It's like, exactly. You know, it's, it's like, come on, people. It's that so, was their conduit. It, right. it was going to be something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. Um you know, uh, one thing I wanted to 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 get back to as well is um, you know how we were talking about the fine art thing and you're talking about mm-hmm. being an illustrator. Um one thing that I've I've noticed that um nowadays or in the last few <laughs> last few years <laughs> um that that you know, Forzetta's finally gotten his due. He's considered right. like a fine artist, so to sure. speak, or or appreciated like a fine artist. And um <clears throat> I think that uh like when I said I saw your stuff and it didn't I didn't think of you as an illustrator. I mean I didn't I didn't really go, oh, that's a fine artist, or oh, that's an illustrator. I just, you know, it's like, oh, it's great. This is a great painting. Right. But you know, I think what makes what makes something fine art is is the context. In which, in which you show it like if you could take yeah, yeah. any of your paintings that you've done for comic book covers and you put them in a gallery and present it as fine art it becomes fine art sure you know so it's <clears throat> i don't know why well, Jeff just
2: likes to call it fine illustration
0: right <laughs> yeah i mean the, the line's gotten
2: really blurry i mean i think both have moved a lot towards the middle, like, right like you have uh you know people like i mean i don't know how familiar you are with a, the more sort of mainstream fine art movement but you got people like me and C2 and Morgan Weisling and Z.S. Liang. And what they're doing is illustration. They're just putting it in a frame and Mm. hanging it in a gallery, but it's historical illustration. You know, they're doing historical scenes, but they're doing it the same way an illustrator does. It's no different. Right. You know, if they were doing mermaids and dragons, it's still the same basic thing. And then you've got just to the, you know, side of that, you've got Donato Giancola who does, like Lord of the Rings stuff, but then right. he's starting to do fine art shows oh, is that are he? Lord of the Rings. Yeah, so it's like it's not the line gets is really really blurry. Even the gallery that my wife shows in in uh, in Tucson, uh, he every time we go out there, he's trying to talk me into doing some of my illustrations for him. Like he wants me to do like a Frankenstein, you know, a faux Frankenstein movie poster, mm. you know, oil paint. Oh, cool. In the gallery or do like haunted mansion or right. something like that. He thinks he can sell. And This is in Tucson. Right. What a it's trip. Like, you know, a Mecca of western art yeah. and he's he sees the trends going more towards nostalgia and pop art even in areas like that. Interesting. So, yeah, it's a, he, he 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 we talk about every single time I go out there and I go, "Man, yeah, if I get the time, then I'll then I'll do it." Right. right. It's it's just a time factor. It's not even that I'm necessarily opposed to it. I think it would be cool to show in the same gallery as my wife does. I'd get a kick oh, out yeah, of it. yeah, yeah.
0: So, yeah, it's interesting. So, yeah. I, it's like it's. I, I think what people are realizing is that, that that there's not really a need for a line to be drawn necessarily. No. You know, especially with the the blue chip. You know, the guy who t- duct taped the banana on the wall. I don't know if you've been seeing that around uh, yeah. Facebook. It's like that is so on it it's its own weird thing and, right. and they could just have it you know it's like it doesn't it's it's like it doesn't apply to anything i'm doing but but right. i feel like illustration you know does right so it's like
2: i, I share way more in common with someone like uh, again like morgan weisling than morgan weisling does with you know the guys that are you know whatever putting dog poop in right. the middle of a room right, right. it's like if people ask me about that so- sometimes and i'll go they'll say well what do you think of that i'll go i don't really think anything it's not it's not really related to what i do. that would be like asking a plumber what he thinks of what you know a roofer does right so it's, like, well, it's, not, it's not yeah i mean i guess there's a sort of tangential collect, right. connection, but right. it's not really what i do so i don't really have i don't really right. think about it. yeah right
0: right yeah i mean the, the thing you know I, I think everyone who or most people most artists that have technical ability or who uh, value technical ability just you know feel that can go on and on about how stupid right. all that artwork is so it's kind of like um you know we all know <laughs> we all, we all kind of right. feel the same way in general about it but um uh i mean it really is a
2: spectrum it's not a, a this right, or that. right like you can go all the way from purely production again i'm not bashing on it all but purely production or- oriented photo bashing Photoshop paint over stuff on one end of the spectrum, which is purely commercial. Right. And then you can go all the way to the other end of the spectrum and you've got, you know, people doing completely non-objective, you know, metal sculpture or something. Right. Right. right, And you've got everything in between. And if you lined it all up, it would be like looking at breeds of dogs. Right. That's like, there's very little that connects, you know, a a French bulldog with a wolf. Right. If you lined up all the dogs in between, then you would see the connection. But, it's much more of a spectrum. It's not that's true. A This or a that.
0: Right, of right, thing. right. And where
2: I, I sit, I share very little in common with the guy doing, you know, non-objective sculpture. Mm-hmm.
0: Right. Yeah. Same here. Um, I, I think I don't know what one thing I I, I I've, I've said this many times. It's the thing I don't like about the you know the the dirty laundry in the corner art or the banana on the wall or whatever is right. that it gets this preferential treatment. It, it, that it sells for so much that all you know, the rich people all agree this small little group, they all agree that this is what has value. It's just, it's like a scam, totally this bullshit yeah. scam. And, and it's like, but, but the thing is, you know, if that's, if that's, I don't understand it, but if you're into, you know, putting the banana on the wall, then that's fine. It's totally cool. And there's even a place for it in the art world. I get sure. it. Um, and I just, to
2: a certain degree, all art is a scam. Right. I yeah. mean, people I mean, even when people buy one of my paintings, it's like, yes, it has a value to me. But mm-hmm. someone comes in and pays X value for it. Really all they're buying is a, uh, you know, two dollar piece of masonite with some tr- gesso and true. oil paint that's on true. it. Hey, with but those no oil. Pa- value.
0: Those oil paints are kind of expensive though, at least. <laughs> true. Yeah, <laughs> More yeah. expensive than the duct tape and the banana. <laughs> true. True. But, 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 well,
2: but, maybe maybe it's an organic <laughs> banana.
0: But you know, it's like that. I I I guess, um, maybe the difference is, uh, you know the, the people have taken time to learn how to sure. do something, and I'm kn- the craftsmanship. I know yeah. I know people that know these some of these artists, these conceptual guys and girls. and uh, and you know, they they are like they know what's bullshit, too, yeah, like they're in on it. They think, but to me, that's just so cynical. It's yeah. so cynical and it's oh, like, it totally it's not at all what, you know, art to me is so important. And and it, it, it's like, it's a spiritual thing. It's like, a, sure. it's deep. It's, and, and it's like, I love work that makes me feel something. And I, and I, people do not feel, I don't care what you say. People don't feel something when they see the banana taped on the wall. I don't think they get like a feeling. No, of course I don't not. It, yeah. <laughs> so but it's I like, think
2: what it is sometimes, and this is just my perception of it. I think what it is sometimes is they're hoping to buy a moment in history. They're hoping that that's going to be one of those breakthrough, Could weird be, yeah. piece of artwork yeah. that's being that's going to be talked about, even if it's being talked about for how ridiculous it is for the next fifty years. And you're the guy who owns that moment <laughs> right. in history. It's not even about the artwork. <laughs> right. You paid for the right to have your name attached to interesting that yeah. moment. Yeah, that's interesting. And what is The thing is most of those moments end up meaning nothing. Right. But every once in a while there is that one that sticks around that, you know, like, you know, the shark, you know, diamonds or whatever, right? (laughs) It's like, like, well, obviously that has a financial value to it,
3: but,
0: you know, what you're paying for is that you're the guy who bought that thing. So it's like, so, so what the, what the, if you, if you break it down further, what they're getting is like some kind of importance like they're important yeah you know they, they've
2: well and, and that's or, what it's like to about for a lot of those people it's like it's not about the the power or the money it's about etching their name in history so deep that it can't ever be wiped out i mean i think that was a line from punisher that i just stole but <laughs> that it's like you know it's that's what they're after they're because they, when they're dead the money isn't gonna but their name will be there their name is will be there forever and they don't want to take the time to do it in a legitimate way so they just want to kind of buy their way right into it which whatever you know it it is it is what it is but i think that's what it's they they're they're trying to piggyback on a moment in time and if we're honest it's the same thing with you know a da vinci or a michelangelo it's like there's no doubting that they were great artists but is their work l- so good that it's literally priceless right
1: yeah no it's, yeah.
2: it's that it's that moment in history you're buying a piece of history so if you own that your name is now in the art history books as someone who owned that michelangelo for a period of time right right right, right. i mean there's a reason why they'll why they'll buy those paintings for you know what are 100 million dollars and then donate it to a museum well right. now in the museum that plaque's hanging next to it and says you know donated from the collection of so-and-so
0: that's interesting you know, yeah that's a that's an I interesting think that's a lot of it yeah yeah and and they're and there are people that are not um maybe artistically inclined themselves so it's but they got money so it's a way for right. them to get, get the mortality or immortality that maybe an artist has potentially yep. in having their work live on yeah what a trip what a trip yeah yeah i i it's uh uh i don't, I don't remember what my initial point was but um I don't know. probably wasn't very good. (laughs) (laughs) But there's other examples of that too. Like people
2: who buy DeLoreans. The DeLorean was a piece of crap. It's a terrible car. Yeah, yeah. There's people that buy them because they want to own one of, you know, whatever, so many DeLoreans
0: that are still roadworthy. Right. Well, you know. uh,
2: Car magazines and,
0: you know. I, I, I did, when I first started, you know, doing the fine art thing, I did a lot of, research. I was reading books on marketing because so much of being a, a, a fine artist is marketing yourself. It really sure. is. And branding yourself as much as, you know, everybody hates that word, but it's true. And yeah, it's um, a thing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, um, uh, you know, one, one, this one, uh, course I, I it was like this $10 course I just took a chance on cause I had paid, I had $10, pay, uh, in my PayPal and it was like <laughs> download this hour, hour of, <laughs> Uh, 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 mp3s of this guy giving these lectures and it was like it was really good it was it's called the fast start uh, art marketing primer i forget the artist's name but you know he's apparently a millionaire or he's got money from his art because he's this great marketer of his own art right. and his artwork's like great he's he does basically rep- representational uh graphite stuff you know it's like sail right. like sa- a sailboat in a, in a bunch of boats in a in a harbor or dogs, you know, just really mainstream stuff, but he's sure. mark marketed himself as this kind of wacky you know crazy guy, just how you know he's made it work for him and the one thing that he um said was that I thought made a lot of sense is that people are buying they're buying your your name. Like they're mm-hmm. buying your your name more than they're buying the art. It's like because they you know they want you to sell them on the work. They want you to tell them why the work is important because they want to have right. something that's important and they want to be able to justify it to their wife or their husband or their friends sure. to say this is why that I spent all this money on this thing and, right. and and it's um they're buying an experience a story uh, right again a,
2: a moment in time right right so they have they have friends come over. I mean, the gallery owners do this all the time. That they're always asking for stories behind the paintings, and no matter what it is, it doesn't even have, it doesn't even have to be about the painting. It Could be a story about when we how we drove the painting out to the gallery, and a funny thing happened right. along the way. <laughs> well, now they can tell that story to the person. They're much more likely to buy the painting because now they hang that painting on the wall. They can tell that story right, at a cocktail right. party, and you
0: know, yeah, it's a trip. It's a trip. Um, oh God, what was that? there was. What was I getting at? Let me think a second. I do this like every every, every podcast at least. <laughs> well, once. I interrupted you too. No, so. no, no. I I can't keep track of my thoughts. So, it's, um, uh, oh, oh, oh. <clears throat> so because that's true, you know, where it's it's kind of it's kind of this game. It's kind of this bullshitty game where it's like people are buying your name. I feel like as an artist. This you know, this is obviously it's a natural kind of a natural thing. It's the way that we have developed as humans, and at the buyers have developed, and the artist has developed. There's this relationship. This is the way it, it naturally has gotten that way, and it's like this game we're playing. Kind of, it's it's not sure. really real in that sense. It's like this game. But I feel like as an artist, <clears throat> the best thing you can do in that situation is just make sure that what you're doing is valid and good. You know, right. if if you're, if you're at least, if you're, you know, you can play the game, but as long as you're, in my opinion, as long as the work is good or great, or you're really trying to make something great, then it's cool to play the game, you know, right. as long as. You know, they might be buying something for, for your name, but you personally are making sure they have a really great piece of art that's right. great.
2: You're not just making the art to buy your way into the game.
0: Right, exactly. The, the,
2: the game comes afterwards. There's two phases. There's making the artwork and making it the best and most authentic thing that you can. And then afterwards, then you use that right. to enter the game. Right. But, but yeah, if you're producing – if you're more interested in being – an artist than making artwork, then your priorities are off.
0: Right. Right. And that's, I think a lot of, you know, that happens with a lot of, there's a lot of that, you know, and that's, that's where it gets bad. That's where art's not cool anymore. I think. Yeah. Um, uh, what, okay. One other thing I wanted to bring up, you know, what, uh, uh when we were talking about the illustration versus fine art thing, um, mm-hmm. man, I, I, I love the, the, some of my favorite paintings of all time are these pulp illustrators. Yeah. Oh my god! It's like that stuff. It just, it it just. uh, I forget the the. I got a a book from an artist that I hadn't heard of before. That I think came out kind of recently. It's like this, this uh, Santo or something. It's this illustrator, this pulp illustrator guy. Uh, Did a bunch of like mystery. I don't know, like you know, hard boiled mystery. There
2: was a ton of guys out there. I, I know. Mean, they, I know. They just produced so much work that I think a lot of it got drowned out. But there
0: was a ton of great pulp artists. Oh my god! But that stuff just like to me that that's like the pinnacle. I want to be able to paint like those guys because those dudes were such badass painters. Oh yeah, so amazing, and they cranked it out too. I know. I mean, some of those
2: guys were were cranking out like a painting like every few days. <laughs> it's it's like during during the height of the paperback world. It's like these companies were just they couldn't write them fast enough to put these books out there. Right and. Like, uh, um, there was a time that, uh, you know, you've heard of the studio, right? When it was uh, Bill Sienkiewicz and Wrightson and Mm. uh, Jeffrey Jones, all those guys. Yeah. They had a studio together and they called themselves The Studio and they put out a book. Well, I think at one time, uh, um, Jeffrey Jones was in such high demand that Wrightson was doing the sketches and then he would paint off of Wrightson's sketches because, you know, Wrightson's a sketch. Right. Master. Right. So he would just do these sketches, then hand them off to Jeffrey Jones and Jeffrey Jones would paint them. And they were, they were painting like two or three covers a week. Oh my working God. together like that. That's amazing. And, yeah. And, and I mean, that was just two guys and they were, that's how many books were getting put out there. And then, you know, for was just, you know, crapping out covers. Right. And <laughs> Bama was out there doing a ton of them. Yep. And, I mean, Bama would do like book covers over a weekend because he worked in a studio and he would be doing all the work during the week, and then he would take on extra work and go home and paint them over a weekend. And wow. it's like James Bama stuff. And it's like, how the hell did you paint that in a weekend? Yeah,
0: that I don't get that. I don't get. I mean, I would never think that he was a fast painter, but, no. like
2: but man, they just they just ground that stuff out. They just hammered it.
0: Yeah, yeah. I I just I, I think that the, the, you know those guys were were just so you couldn't fake it. You couldn't fake it. Yeah. You had to be really good to pull that off. Um, but I, I love, I love just the, you know, that's what I, that's, I don't know. To me, it's fine art. I look at these Absolutely. these paintings and they're fine art. Like, well, the, and a ton of them have gone on to do fine art. I mean, uh, Robert right.
2: McGinnis, um, he, right, I mean, he's yeah. back doing some illustration now, but he did fine art for, mm-hmm. uh, uh, forever. Uh, and Peanut, Bama, yeah. Bama too. Uh, did, uh yeah. Bama did, did tons of
0: those amazing all those guys went West, on to do fine yeah, art. Yeah. Western, his Western stuff's unbelievable. Yeah yeah but um yeah i don't know i just thought that was interesting to bring up since we were talking about the illustration versus fine art thing because i don't know i just that to me it's like i that's how i want my paintings to be i want them to be like as good as those pulp covers because i like yeah, the, yeah absolutely or the comic covers from like the old uh horror comics like the ec i love that stuff man that the, the oh, yeah. I, I like I i like that you know it's There'll be like a woman going, ah, and and then like open window and then like a giant death, like a skull head, you know, kind of like just this like fantasy illustration thing. And it's just so amazing to me.
2: You even go back to guys like Wyeth. I mean, man, Mm -hmm. I mean, talk about a blurry line. It's like that guy would have been a fine artist now. He would have been painting you know, comic covers, he'd be doing gallery work. Right. Yeah. But yeah. because the money back then was in paint and treasure Island, that's what he was.
0: Painting. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, he made a killing at it. What a trip. So, yeah. I don't know. I just think, yeah, the, the, the whole, I don't know. It's all art. It's all. Yeah. Art.
2: <laughs> and, and it's nice to see that line getting really, really blurry with, you know, uh, <clears throat> galleries like Copro and mm-hmm. places like that, where it's like, it's like, well, what is that? You know, it's, I mean, you 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 do your shows there, and you uh, uh, the group show that you put on every year the um, Conjoin? yeah, Conjoin. Yeah, it's like you look at that, and it's like, well, that's a lot of that stuff could easily be either or both, right? Or you know, neither. It's like it's like it's you look at that. It, it's like if I were to define that show, I don't even know other than dark Eyed, I don't know how I would define it. Right, it's, right. Which is great. I think it's awesome, and that's that's the stuff I like. But even walking into like again, galleries in Tucson, you walk in and there's stuff that you're like, huh? Like there's a, there was a guy that I just saw when we were just out there dropping off some paintings at my wife's gallery. And there's a guy in there basically doing Gil Elvgren paintings of cowgirls. Hmm. And it was
0: like, well, that's, huh? You, you mean a, like ripping his paintings off? No, it, no, not ripping them off. But or I just mean, the I mean, same style? Obviously better?
2: very influenced by Gil Elvgren, but instead of doing, you know, you know, 1930s right. 50s pinups, he's doing cowgirls. That's interesting. Is it intentional? Is it like, is that part of the whole thing? It's, 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 it's I mean, it's, it's, it's homage. Right. Right. Okay. okay. He's not ripping it off. He's creating his own images, but even his paint application style and his design sense and even the posing, it's kind of cheesecakey. Right. You know, not, not, not in a bad way, but it's like, it's, it's clearly influenced by the, the pinup art of, you know, the turn, the middle of the century. Wow. So it's just interesting to see that. that That's everything. Again, the lines are blurry but he's presenting
0: it as he's presenting it as fine art and yeah, yeah. What, fine art western art that's that's it that is interesting that's cool yeah so yeah it's
2: just it's just neat i mean not again you know a lot of it's not my thing but i just i'm happy to walk in and see the fact that it's getting really uh mixed up
0: yeah yeah, yeah.
2: It's, it's not there it, the line almost doesn't exist anymore yeah saying. it's blurry it's not even blurry it pretty much doesn't <laughs> exist anymore
0: yeah right I know what my point was. Here's the point I forgot that, that I was that I brought up is that um, the the thing that I like about dark art and about illustration and just the kind of the stuff that we're into versus the banana on the wall is the um, the that regular people can understand it, right? You know, because I'm a regular person. I grew up in San Pedro, which is like blue collar longshoreman town. You know, it's like right. I it and and it and I and that banana on the wall stuff is 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 it makes people feel dumb. I think yeah, that's what I don't like about it. Aside from the price tag and the preferential treatment, it's like it makes you feel stupid for not understanding it. And and I don't well, again,
2: craft makes sense to everybody. Even right, if you don't like right. Rockwell's work, you can look at it and. Admire it for the craftsmanship yeah, that's absolutely. involved. You go, okay, yeah. I'm not into you know cheesy Americana. I mean, I am, but some people might right. not be into cheesy Americana. I love Americana. I love but you look at it. Rockwell's and it's amazing. It's so well done.
0: Yeah, yeah. Even you know, and, and the thing is, like, it's like this with horror movies too. You have to accept the reality they're presenting you in order to get to get into the movie. Right. It's like that with Rockwell. It's like you know, we we know that that's not the way America is. But right. if, but if you like put all that stuff aside and go okay i'm going to look at it from that perspective it's amazing everything about yep. it is perfect it's like the you know if you you know get get outside of the you know politics or even though he was like you know he was all for civil rights and stuff like that still he was right. presenting this really white american happy sure. mom and dad and apple pie if you put aside <laughs> the politics and stuff and just look at it for what he was going for and how he yeah. did it it was fucking absolutely perfect and amazing and and I can do that I can set all that stuff aside yeah. and and just it just it's mouthwatering work
2: you, you can criticize the target but you can't criticize his aim right 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 exactly cuz he's nailing it i mean he's yeah. hitting exactly oh, yeah. what he's going after yeah. it wasn't an accident yeah right and right it's also stuff like you know i like almost all horror movies. Cause I'm a horror fan. Right. But almost anybody can appreciate the thing. Almost right. anyone can appreciate Carpenter because he's a master. He's right. a master storyteller. Yep. It's Like it doesn't have to be horror. Right. I mean, he delves into, you know, screwball action adventure with uh, Big Trouble in Little China, right. and it's still awesome, right? Yeah, yeah. It's like the guy knows how to make a movie. Yep. And so his movies, you know, Halloween, The Thing, you know, uh, all that stuff, it it gets elevated because of his skill level. Right. You don't need to be a horror fan to right, appreciate right. how well made the movie is.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's always, so. that's been like, also my, personally, my aim for doing what I'm doing is like, I, I've, I've. Feel like, you know, because all that, like the fa- the Basil Gogos, famous monster horror, uh, famous monsters covers, all that sure. stuff to me was just, you know, it still is like, so it's fine art. It's so oh, great. Oh, it's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So for me doing the monster portraits and stuff, it's, it, I always felt like um I'm, I was trying to elevate the subject matter so that, so that it's, it can still be monsters, like the stuff I loved sure. when I was a kid and grew up on, but it can be considered, uh, you know, fine art or spiritual, or you know what I mean, right. I have that like extra thing. So I'm always feeling like, like I'm trying to elevate horror or monsters and stuff. Yeah, and, yeah, absolutely. You, you know, and I uh, love it when
2: people <clears throat> look at my work and say, "Man, I'm not really into into horror, but that's right. a really good painting." Same that's here. One of the
0: biggest compliments someone can give me. Right? Yeah, yeah. Same here. Uh, did you ever see Assault on Precinct 13? John Carpenter's first. Yes, that movie's great, man. And that's like you know, it's kind of horror in a way but not really it's more like a western
2: well yeah it was it was based on uh what was the yeah. um trying to not red river it was uh well anyway whatever the the one uh john wayne western it right was, it was based on that john wayne western so it's, uh, it's almost beat for beat is it and, I've, and, never, and si- I've heard yeah, that but i've never seen it's it so similar yeah it's really really and, and since then it's been remade a bunch of times including in the second season of punisher they did an episode that was Pretty much Assault on Precinct Thirteen. Oh, really? Almost almost exactly. I mean uh, to the point where it was a clear homage. Wow. They did an Assault on Precinct Thirteen episode. <laughs> That's cool. And it was one of the better
0: episodes too. Really? It was really good. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't seen the remake. I'm afraid to watch it because I it,
2: Yeah, I I don't think I've seen the remake. If, if if I did, it wasn't good enough for me to even remember yeah. seeing it.
0: So the original one is so good though. So good. Oh, it's so, great. I yeah, love that. All... Yeah. It's so creepy too. I love the, it's just got such a creepy mood to it. Um, well we're coming up on two hours, so I should let you go, man. That, that was a great <laughs> conversation. I'm bummed. We didn't get to talk more horror movies though, but, um, maybe I can have you back on sometime and we can talk more, more horror. Absolutely, man. Just, <laughs> yeah. Let me know anytime and we'll set up a time to do it. Cool, man, and also if I don't know if you're interested, not to put you on the spot, but Conjoin Ten, which is our ten year anniversary, is coming up in February. If you have a piece laying around that you want to show, you're welcome to yeah. show in it for sure. And and yeah, um, absolutely. And we uh, we did the dark art, first official Dark Art Society group show where we had you know people that have been on the show and and other I don't know people in the dark art realm that are doing really great work. We just wrapped that show for the first official one. But you know, if we do one again next year, I'll definitely want to have you in it. If you're into it, that copper. Oak yeah, Bowers. absolutely. You know, it'd be awesome. Yeah. I mean,
2: you've you got my contact information. So anytime something like that comes up, just send me the information. And if I've got time to get something done, if I've got something laying around, I'd, I'd be honored.
0: Excellent. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you again for, for coming on. I appreciate it. Taking the time it was super fun. And um, like, again, I'm so glad to have you on our side. We need more people <laughs> like you on our side. The dark art world needs more people, more artists like you on our side. <laughs> you know I what I'm saying? I right? don't going anywhere. So, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Cool. All right, well, thank you everybody for listening and uh, appreciate your support. If you want to support the podcast, you can go to patreon.com slash darkartsociety and you get the podcast a day early, sometimes two days early, and you get into the secret Facebook group, which I'll add you to. I'll add you to the, to the secret Excellent. Facebook group. And um, it's for Patreon subscribers and pe- guests that have been on the show. It's a really cool little group, people that are just totally into uh, this stuff. and cool. uh, And we have a new website. You can get entry into that, which is like a membership thing through the Patreon. So you can join for as little as a dollar a month. And that's it. So thanks so much, Eric, for coming on. Really appreciate it. Oh, great man, it was time. a pleasure. Appreciate it. Um, all right, let's say goodbye to everybody. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye, say- everybody. Thanks for listening. Yes, thank you.